0: One, two, three.
1: What? Bow out. No, you're part of this. What, what, what the justice thing?
2: No, dude, this is the, the under... Appreciated... You, yeah, under oh. appreciated. Yeah.
3: I thought you guys went to the, the justice society thing first, and then... The... Oh, no, we're oh. not doing Uh-oh. Tails
1: tonight. Uh-oh. No, no, neither one Uh-oh. of us are ready for Tails. <laughs> <No>. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Tales, you got to bring. It it, it, it it takes a while to bring the funny to You know, you got to work. <laughs> got to write Kinda, out the script
3: and yeah,
2: out. <laughs> just just to uh, just to let you know that before I walked downstairs, I, I walked in the bedroom. My wife was reading a book. I handed her my drink. I said, "Here, test this out for me." She takes a drink, just a tiny little sip, because it's it's uh, mostly soda, and she she's not really supposed to have anything with sugar in it. And she goes, she takes a little tiny sip. She goes. Holy shit. <laughs> she goes, what is it? Are you gonna make it downstairs with that? I said, I'll make it down the stairs just fine. Getting
0: back up the stairs later, that might be an issue.
1: <laughs> what is it? What are just you call her
0: on your um, call her on your cell phone to help you <laughs> stairs later.
2: <laughs> it's um, one of those like like big gulp sized cups that you could get from from like the gas station. Yeah, and it's it's half and half Coke and uh, and uh, vanilla vodka. So. Oh Jesus, <laughs>
4: vodka! It's
2: really good. It it tastes like a like a vanilla Coke, so it's it's deceptive in its, its, like its power. The,
1: it's like when I was eighteen years old and we discovered that if you put vodka into Sunny Delight, you don't taste the vodka at ah, all.
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. The wonderful (laughs) vodka plus sugar-citrus combination, which is also the perfect combination for hangovers, too. And
1: we got hammered. (laughs) I was 18 years old. It was the first time I was ever drunk. And uh, I don't even know if I want to tell this story.
2: (laughs) I remember one of the very first times I got seriously drunk was uh, Chris and I snuck out, and he uh, he swiped some cooking sherry from his, from his dad's. That <laughs> We sat in the park in Carthage and got fucking toasted <laughs> off yeah. that nasty fucking shit. It tasted like fucking brake
0: fluid. <laughs> it, yeah, it might have been brake fluid for all we knew at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was vile. Yeah, didn't you we have it use- like in a canteen or something, just like swilling it out on that rock at the park? I don't re. I I thought we had it in the bottle myself. I, I can't remember. I know we swiped a green machine at some point, or so- it was either a big wheel or a green machine. Oh Jesus! <laughs> and you chucked it out in the middle of the road off the rock. It's it's it's
1: really funny when you you don't remember the evening and you wake up naked in bed with your friend's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I, We're wake a up, wild night.
2: <laughs> wake up naked on the back porch in the middle of January freezing your balls off. <laughs>
3: uh. Fun night though, fun night with the puke. to with a dog licking your taint. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, Will, you can't say dog anymore without me thinking about all those things you posted that night of the little puppy with. Uh, it's not rape if she likes it or whatever else. That oh is. yeah,
2: that, that shit was hilarious. Oh god.
1: Which <laughs> is funny, Will, because I don't know if I ever told you that because uh, you're another one of those people that Scott and I both knew, but we didn't realize that we that it was the same guy. Because <laughs> the first time he mentions, he's like, yeah, Will Sanchez. I'm like, I, know, I think I know a Will Sanchez. He posted all these dog things, and Scott's like, I don't know if that was him. That doesn't sound like the Will I know. <laughs> like, I don't
5: know, man.
2: <laughs> here, here, Will, this is our new favorite. You'll love this.
3: Uh, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't even have to click it. I know what that is. <laughs>
5: that is the most uh, wrong
1: thing ever. That I can't stop laughing at. Uh, you want to bring us in, Scott, or do you want me to?
2: Um. Stop uh, eating off I, to the picture and bring us in, Scott. No, I'm I'm updating, <laughs> I'm updating my notes. Is that what you call <laughs> it? well yeah something like that <laughs> you guys suck
1: why because you're the one getting picked on uh, oh yeah there we go if it was me, <sighs> you'd, you'd be like all over that shit
2: all right what number are we up to anyway
1: is this for this week i think we're up to 60 aren't we
2: is this 60 already holy shit let me look at you. you know what i think you're right actually
1: yeah because last week was 59 dude yeah,
2: 60 does follow oh my gosh all right hang on god damn it open up
1: it's a great <laughs> picture of shag that you used for the star wars <laughs> Nothing monday thing chris i commend you oh <laughs> it, it's really funny he uh he's on the cover of van allen plexico's trivia book and it was a picture that Shag had seen. He said, if you ever, you know, post that, you know, cover my bald spot. And he did. So on the cover
0: of the book, Shag doesn't have a bald spot. Oh, that's funny. It's He looks just like my friend Johnny Bueno, who's been doing our Comics Monthly Monday show. And Scott thought the picture of Shag was a picture of me, and Johnny Bueno thought it was a picture of me, too. And I thought the picture of Shag looked like Johnny Bueno, so... If me, Shag, and Johnny Bueno all got together, we could probably do pretty good impressions of each other. <laughs> <laughs> so you
1: like the new uh, Tails image with that All-Star Squadron preview cover, Scott? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, have
2: you guys seen this? Hang on, I'll post it up real quick. Yes,
5: yeah,
1: sure. With my shitty, shitty Photoshop skills.
0: Oh, God, you got it. Oh. <laughs> there's a – did I t- – tell? were you on last night when I was talking about there's a um, – on YouTube, there's a series called "You Suck at Photoshop," which is basically a comedy, <laughs> a comedy thing. But it is the best, it is the best like tutorial for Photoshop ever, and it ends with Dane Cook getting shot in the head. So well, that,
1: that well that makes me happy. Yeah, right it ends there, on a
0: really think, high note. You know, it goes. I out think with he's the, a talentless fuck. Yeah. Personal, oh, so. we were we were yeah people we were running him down like crazy yesterday. It was fun.
1: I don't understand why people like him. It's like Will Farrell, what the hell?
0: I understand I can, I found Will Farrell I found funny, but he like wore out his welcome real fast to where mm-hmm. he's just completely inane now.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: Oh, have either have anybody here seen any of the like the Blue Harvest or the something 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 Dark Side that family guy yeah. did? Okay. I didn't see it. Scott, have you seen oh. it? No. Okay.
2: So, Dude, I serious I cannot watch that show. Okay. I don't know what you guys keep finding in that yeah. show. I'm sorry.
1: I got I got two things to tell you then. At the end of Something 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 Dark Side, which is the end of Empire Strikes Back, there are two things that happened that made me just laugh out loud. The first was Brian looking at the Lando character and going, Why are you wearing Han Solo's outfit? Yeah. Exactly. And then he looks at the camera and goes, Seriously. <laughs> watch the end of empire he's wearing han solo's clothes <laughs> and then they have the whole like image of the camera panning around the ship and the music and then it cuts to chris going wait that's it that's the, this is the end and then someone comes up to him and goes are you are you chris griffin yeah and he opens up the letter, he goes, Dear Chris, if you found that by my calculations you should be finding this at such and such and such and such. I'm in the year 1855, <laughs> Doc <Dr>. Brown's alive! <laughs> and then the, the, the Back to the Future to be continued, and the Back to the Future music.
4: Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Garner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now, back, back to the bins. <laughs>
1: Scott, come on! You can't, you can't defend dialogue in the prequel trilogy. I'm sorry. I will defend moments. I will defend action. I will defend characters and plot. I will not defend the dialogue.
0: (laughs) It's a wise, it's a wise decision. (laughs) Yeah. We will
2: agree to disagree
0: as
1: usual. (laughs) <laughs> That's the great thing about us Is that when we disagree it's pretty fucking epic <laughs> It's not little things It's like it's like North and south things so. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's things that tear a country apart yeah.
1: <laughs> I was actually thinking Scott That we should do an entire back to the bins Where we don't get into the, the particulars But just go over all the things That we actually disagree about because it seems like we agree all the time on our shows, and <laughs> I think it might do do us. That's app. actually not
2: a bad idea. That's that's you actually really good. You need to get really someone really
0: idea. mellow to be like a referee to be there to like talk you guys no, down, though. You you'd, be yeah. you'd be perfect, yeah. me. Me, Mister. Thro- no, I'll just throw gasoline on that. Yeah, <laughs> I I, come in, say, I, I have a mellow say, demeanor, he's... but I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna. Yeah, give up the opportunity to like spritz some. Uh, yeah, kerosene on that. I mean Chris is the one that would be sitting there no, Adolf, seriously,
1: concentration <laughs> camps. They're the way they go. Seriously, no, you should you should you should foster that. Yeah, the Jews Jews are responsible for everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go get some coffee. You want some coffee?
0: Then I'd go off to talk to the Jews and go, That guy's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna put your ass in camps. You should Is choke like off his money. Su- you should cho- no, it's not. You should choke off his money supply. I'm telling you, he's gonna blame you for anything, everything anyway. So you guys should just start getting on so him. As- yeah, you yeah. might as well take advantage. Yeah, it. yeah. You might as well live right up to the stereotypes, and yeah, and I could just go back and forth with <laughs> that the whole time. <laughs> so just for Chris, honey, being in responsible the- for the Holocaust. yeah, it's just. Just because I was bo- I was born in the wrong time, I guess.
1: <laughs> All righty, Scott, bring us on in. Okay? Yeah, we'll talk about some artists now.
0: Right, if you could get in. All in right,
4: the let's group. get into this.
2: <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is our epic 60th episode, and I am Scott Gardner. Mm-hmm. Joining me for this episode are. Michael Bailey.
5: Hello.
2: Chris Honeywell. Hi, Dylan. And Will Sanchez. And this <laughs> <laughs> for the win.
5: <laughs>
1: well, you know, it's only fair because, you know, in all honesty, one of us was going to make the joke anyway. So, he yeah. yes, yes. Use yeah.
2: that bomb. Yes, you're right.
3: Welcome, folks. Welcome. <laughs>
2: This is our long-talked-about, much-anticipated, and we finally got off our asses and did it. Uh, What are we calling this? The underappreciated Talents in Comics episode where uh, we're each going to bring our our little list of people that we feel just haven't quite gotten their due in the world of funny books. So uh, how do we want to do this, guys? Just kind of round-robin style type of deal? Yeah, we're doing
1: five of them, right?
2: Eh, five, whatever's on your list, type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, in no particular order, I have uh, at least five people, and then if you know, if any, if yeah, have I've got, I've got kids, a bunch so. of,
1: um, I've got a bunch of honorary mentions just in case somebody repeats.
2: Yeah, that's that's kind of how I did it too. Cool. So we'll do it that way, and uh, and just this is going to be uh, just old-fashioned, just comic book talk going around, and uh, no, shit. no real yeah exactly no real format or structure we just want to hang out and uh, and have some fun you know i just Be-
0: realized i was in the 50th episode of back to the bins too uh-huh. so i'm like i get to <laughs> pop up like every 10th episode
1: <laughs> You're like Mr. Mixiaz Pitalik. Every three months we have you back. Yeah, there and then you I disappear in a puff
0: of sulfurous smoke at the end of... <laughs> we just have to make
1: you say your name backwards yeah. and everything's going to go back to the
0: way it was <laughs> before you got here. <laughs>
5: yeah.
2: So who wants, to, who wants to go first? Who wants to lead us off with this thing?
1: Uh, I'll go first. Uh, All right. My number five, and this is the only one where I have in parentheses next to the name specific, because some of this gentleman's artwork I absolutely detest, but there's some that I absolutely love, and that is Don Heck. Don Heck has an unfortunate reputation in comics because he was drawing comics in the 60s for Marvel when Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko were pretty much lighting the comic book marketplace on fire and he just didn't have the the spark that either of them had but in the 70s he started doing work for dc now some of that work sucks as a recent <laughs> tales of the jsa revealed when we talked about a batman family story that he drew yeah. that that looks like complete ass but his steel the indestructible man and his run on Flash, I think, are two very underappreciated examples of his artwork, especially the Flash run, which I, for some reason, it just appeals to me. I can't really put my finger on why. You know, I can't sit there and point out specifically what he does different. Maybe it's the anchors he was working with. But for Steel the Indestructible Man, uh, Jerry Conway was going for a 60s Marvel feel to the title, anyways. So having Don Heck on the title kind of just made that work a little better but the design for the character, the artwork on the inside I absolutely love and his run on Flash which was like in the early the late 290s early 300s was very very good as well. So that that's that's my first entry into this and now I'm going to sit back while Scott tells me why Don Heck sucks.
2: No, no. I Actually, I'm wondering if – do you think maybe this is one of those guys that uh, that suffered like as he got older? Maybe he just wasn't as good as some of his older stuff or something like that, and that's why guys like me that discovered him toward the tail end of his career just don't think much of him, do you think?
1: That's possible. I mean, that's like kind of Carmine Infantino when at the end of his career he was drawing with a ruler. So, you know, everything was so freaking angular
5: <laughs>
1: that, uh, but I don't know because the thing is, is I think he got better as he got older. So it's kind of I the think- opposite of that.
3: He has kind of a similar style to, uh, to Carmine, actually. Like some of his, like, line work, it's like a thin, uh, economical lines. Uh, not simple, not simplistic or anything, but just very, uh, very, uh, I guess, uh, just to the point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, n- not really flashy, kind of like a livelier Dick Dillon, almost.
3: Yeah, exactly. So. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Yeah, I, I think his, his Avengers work, uh, which was after Kirby, was actually pretty... It started out kind of rough, but it did get a little better. And uh, he eventually actually improved it in his Avengers. One. I thought he was his stuff was actually sometimes preferable. Preferable to, uh, preferable to Kirby stuff.
1: Well, unfortunately, the, the problem with the first like 14 or so issues of Avengers that Kirby drew is that he was drawing everything else, so you could kind of see the stress of that in the artwork. It's kind uh, all yeah. over the map. Because some pages are like epic, and some pages you can tell he was really rushing through. Oh,
3: yeah. You had to, you had to you know, draw... Like fantastic, you know, fantastic Four next week or something,
1: <laughs> or later that day. Considering yeah, just a day, he's yeah. Produced. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: probably not the top of his priorities, but I, I still like it, though. I mean, but yeah, Don Heck is. I would definitely give that a, a nod to underrated uh, artists. Good pick.
2: What have Might. you got, Will?
3: Well, I'm gonna pick an uh, pick a writer here, and sure i think i think a few of you guys might have him on there uh i'm going to pick bill matenlow yeah. uh
1: yeah i'll go with that
3: yeah he's he's very underrated um it's interesting cuz he was behind the whole uh, 80s movement of the licensed properties like he, well he, the bulk of it uh was, was just micronauts and the rom uh he also did a pretty a pretty solid run on hulk mm-hmm. um, he had the whole champions thing mhm he had the champions, uh, Jack of Hearts, which is a great, a solid mini- miniseries. Also, one of my favorite characters. Um, he also created a uh, Mister Fish, which was a <laughs> was a Luke Cage villain, uh, it was, which Tom Breaver likes to you know take out of uh, context and just kind of revel in its absurdity. But uh, yeah, Bill Mantlo, uh, he's one of my favorite uh, underrated writers. He's unfortunately he's. Uh, is Hob- hospitalized now. I think he's just, he's still in a coma or something.
1: Yeah, he uh, he was in a yeah. rollerblading accident in the early '90s, and has been pretty much mm. kind of uh, like brain dead for the last
0: almost wow. twenty. Years. Oh man! So and, and yeah. it's
1: really sad because Will's right. His Hulk run, especially that whole thing, that whole like three years worth of stuff leading up to Hulk three hundred, is fucking awesome. Is,
2: yeah, as is, I was talking about not long ago on uh, on this show, um, I just started uh, make, making my way through uh, Rom, and damn, is it good! I mean, I really like his stuff. He he uh, he was really ahead of his time for okay. characterization.
3: I think.
1: Well, he he could he yeah. Could was, take, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I need to walk all over. Uh, well, uh, you know.
3: That's <laughs> okay. Well, ROM was surprisingly good. I thought the same thing. I was like, I, at first, I was kind of like, "Yeah, what the fuck, ROM?" Like, it's a computer name. Like, <laughs> but then I started reading. I was like, "Oh, this is pretty good. It's pretty solid, you know." <laughs> he started, you know, a lot of cool team ups with, uh, the, you know, the uh, you see, Power Man Luke Cage. That was a really cool one. That was he also teamed up with the X Men. Uh, lots of cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it's a shame. It's a shame that Marvel doesn't have the license anymore to that because that, that's that's kind of the holy grail of the the licensed properties.
2: I mean, he took he took something that that could have sucked. It could have been stupid. It could have, you know, it it should have probably failed. Really, when you think about it, I mean, it was just a a one off toy thing. Really, the toy didn't even do all that well. But he took it and and he created that that entire world. I mean, the entire universe that Rom operated in in that title. He created all of it. I mean, Hasbro didn't give him shit, but the toy, you know. So that, that's yeah. pretty remarkable, I think. And he made those characters, um, you know, for the time that it was being put out, he made them very realistic and, and very, uh, you know, ahead of the curve uh, on, or uh, the curve rather, not curb, ahead of the curve <laughs> on how characters <laughs> were written at that time. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, that's a great choice. Yeah, well, I'm glad somebody brought a writer well, well, to the less. table, too. Most of mine are artists.
3: <laughs> I've got a writer yeah it's interesting one of the last thing um I'm sorry <laughs> go ahead Mike
1: no I was just gonna say I have I have a writer or two on my list as well so
3: okay well I was gonna say uh, one of the last thing things of his of his rom-run was uh, the dire wraiths were still around and they tend to pester the Avengers every once in a while and they actually uh, they're in one of the uh, more recent uh, Fantastic Four books by Jonathan Hickman uh it was really cool to see them pop up again. And I was like, "Wow, the, the Dire Wraiths again! That's pretty cool." So, see, the thing about the Dire Wraiths, it,
1: though, is that I hear that name and I think of like a like a Shriekback type band uh, from the <laughs> '80s, and that just makes me sad. And I now the Dire <laughs> Wraiths.
0: It says "Lord of the Rings" to me. It's uh, fair to Ring say. Wraith.
3: Uh, oh, there you go. Okay.
0: No, that's true. That's a.
2: I think of that "Money for Nothing" song.
0: <laughs> money for nothing, and you kick for free. What do you got, Chris? What's, uh, what's that, Grandpa? That's exactly how they sing that song. <laughs> money for nothing, and you kick for free. What the hell is that? Man? <laughs> that is, that was, that's, that's like, how I heard it's it. Like Grandpa Festus singing it. <laughs> 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 I hated that song. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I just realized that all of mine are writers slash artists because I sort of picked I, I, I picked all mine are from Indie World because I figure Indie World's fairly misrepresented but I made sure not to pick out anybody that was no we, we say that it sucks in, all the time in, in Indie World <laughs> <laughs> so the, so these guys would maybe be like I'm just gonna ignore you and take the higher ground <laughs> uh, because we saw how that worked out for Obi-Wan and Anakin yeah. right so fuck you guys <laughs> um, does that mean one day Scott's
1: gonna kill you <laughs>
0: <laughs> it could I hate you I hate you it'll probably happen at Dragon Con sometime yeah, after like <laughs> the rabbit goes too far some night and I'll just wake up the next morning dead Yeah. just
2: so, leave me an arm alright cause I gotta scratch my ass every now and again
0: <sighs> onward um <laughs> So I, I I picked I didn't pick guys like from the bottom of the heap of the of the indie world, but you know, sort of maybe mid level. Um, but probably the most popular out of all of them would be uh, Rick Veitch. But Rick Veitch has done lots of uh, more DC than Marvel. I think he's done some mm-hmm. Marvel stuff though. But he's he's done quite a bit of work for DC, and uh, he's just one of my favorite writers slash artists. Everything he does. I'm interested in, you know, some of it's better than other stuff. I just recently picked up uh, 1963 comics, the first two issues of that that he did with Alan Moore, and he just drew that, but I imagine he had a little, you know, hand in the writing too. But it's basically they just reproduce one of them's basically the Fantastic Four and one of them Spider-Man, but you know they're different characters or homages to them, but. You know, it's got the version of the bullpen bulletin and everything written in that same language. And uh, Rick Veitch did the whole Maxi Mortal and Brat Pack stuff <sighs> that I love, love, love. He's doing the Army at, Army at Love. That uh, A new one hasn't come out from that in like six months, but that's the latest thing I've seen that he's been doing. And he did the Rare Bit Fiend comics, which were all like his dream journals. That he just drew comic adaptations of his dreams that were great. He had some pretty twisted dreams. He's just done a lot of great stuff, and uh, he did a whole thing for uh, Epic Illustrated in the '80s for Marvel called uh, Abraxis and the Abraxis and the something, and it was his space version of Moby Dick, basically. That was great and uh Sunburst was another graphic novel he did for Marvel that was really good. He did um Aquaman in the last few years for a little while for, yeah. for DC and I've I got those on eBay a while yet and I haven't read them yet so I don't know how First they are. First couple
1: issues were interesting. I picked them off up off I picked them up off the stands cuz that was when I was like buying everything Justice League related. And uh, but I'll agree with you Brat Pack was an awesome It was an awesome series mainly because it wasn't trying to do the Frank Miller of trying to darken things up. It was almost like making fun of that.
0: Yeah, I think that's what it was basically doing. I think basically Brat Pack was like, this is what comics have become. And then it used Superman as a personification of the mass unconscious Mm -hmm. manifestation of the Ubermensch. And... To come in and sort them all out, you know, once they got so corrupted and more, you know, once they became like real people, the Superman character had to come and just sort of absorb their essence back into the main thing because they weren't superheroes anymore. They were just real people, you know. So what's the use of having superheroes? Basically, the whole point was what's the use of having superheroes if they're not going to be superheroes, which I like that. And, I heard um, his
3: Swamp Thing is really good too.
0: Well, that's the thing. That's the only thing, and and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna have to pick up a bunch of those because they have them at the comic shop. But that was the only stuff that I ever felt disappointed by him was when he took over Swamp Thing after um, Alan Moore. But that might just been because it wasn't Alan Moore, you know, and I didn't give him a chance. Well, also, at that wasn't point.
2: that the uh, Alfredo Alcala stuff too?
0: I think so. Wasn't he doing?
1: I'm gonna be I'm gonna be completely honest with you on that. I think his Swamp Thing run was good, except for the Superman issue, which I wanna beat a man to death over, because I think he completely missed the boat on Lex Luthor and who that character was.
2: In fairness though, the the problem with that is that he likewise got a little bit screwed over because the Lex Luthor that that uh, Swamp Thing was getting revenge on isn't even the same Lex Luthor because it was the pre-crisis Luthor that killed Swamp Thing. And then he was enacting his, or exacting rather, his, his vengeance on Lex Luthor post-crisis. So yeah, the story doesn't really work. And Moore should yeah. have just abandoned the, that whole idea. But he tried to, to pick it up and and resolve that storyline and it just doesn't, quite follow
1: well it wasn't so it 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 was that but it was also that he basically turned lex into like a rapist because through the issue he's basically forcing this woman to have sex with him and the great thing about burns luther is that he could get a woman into bed without forcing it upon her you know he was Uh, manipulative enough that it's almost like he'd make it think it was her idea and to kind of bring him down to just being a scumbag yeah, he's Lex Luthor,
0: he's a criminal mind, he wouldn't, he doesn't lower himself to brute you know
1: yeah, so but other than that, yeah, his uh, his Swamp Thing was good I really wish they would have just let that whole Jesus thing go but with all of the heat on the, you know, with the <laughs> Batman film coming out, that you know DC wanted to be a little more all ages friendly, and the, you know they they told him he had to not do that story. I thought that was a bunch of bullshit.
2: Well, in retrospect, I think they feel the same way too. I think they're they're sorry they didn't let him go ahead with that in the long run.
0: Mm-hmm. What was this? Was there going to be a Swamp Thing versus Jesus? Comic. <laughs> no, he was he was
1: progressively going back in time and basically Ve- Veach wrote a scene where it was the night before the cru- before Jesus was arrested and it's a con- they were gonna have a conversation. And but DC was like, No, no, you can't do that. It might offend somebody, you know, stop, 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 stop. Uh... And this was also around the time that DC was like putting together that whole like Comics code authority in house that pissed off just about every creator on the planet. So it was it was kind of a kind of an odd time for them as a company, anyways, because they were you know because I, I think Paul Levitt said it at one point. Their problem with the summer of '89 was finding paper to print more comics on because they were selling so many. Because that Batman film was like everything. You yeah. Know? So. But yeah, I wish they would have let that go, because I would have liked to have read what that w- would have been. Because I'm guaranteeing you, it w- there wouldn't have been an offensive thing in there. And it probably would have been very spiritual. No, it would
0: have probably been actually kind of touching and like probably better than like 90% of the things you would see like in church. <laughs> you Because know? it's Alan... I mean, Alan Moore isn't really a shitster that much, really. He's just... Basically, one of those. This more was moderate. after
1: Moore was off the title. This is when Veitch was. Oh. Yeah, this
0: was. Yeah. Veitch might have been a little more inflammatory about it, but <laughs> I don't know. But still, he, yeah i I just really, I really, he always seems to be doing exactly what he wants to do, and that I like that. That seems very rare that that you see. You know, people at some point, and he's not wildly successful, but he's still sort of set about to do the projects that he's really into. And you can tell, I mean, I can tell a Rick Veitch project. It's like seeing, he's hes like David Cronenberg or David Lynch or a director <laughs> like that, you know. Like... You, see what, you see their work and you know what's going on in it. He has a lot of the same, he loves dreams, and that's something that's going to turn up in a lot of my picks are, is a uh, dream sort of stuff. But yeah, he, he really like is really into dreams and the subconscious and stuff. And really, I think also, um, from Swamp Thing, he learned a lot from Alan Moore, you know, I think he paid attention to what Alan Moore was doing and, and didn't really copy him, but was definitely influenced by him. And after that point.
3: Yeah. He's really, um, well-regarded around the industry. And like, uh, interestingly enough I think he has an like audiobook somewhere i heard like some ex- excerpts from his audiobook. It's pretty freaking weird, but
0: <laughs> I'm sure it is <laughs> it it is, inter- it is
3: interesting it is interesting it's kind of like uh, like you said chris it involves like dreaming or some sort of some sort yeah i am not sure what the book is but it's it is pretty interesting
0: he there's a couple they did a couple trade paperbacks and they did a couple like coffee table books of his rare bit fiends. Under different names that were all sort of his, uh, they were his dream journals, but then he had a lot of his friends also, like, draw a bunch of their dreams, and man, were those things weird, but they were great, because they, you know, they felt like a real dream, you know, they captured, he was one of those people that every morning he would wake up and write down what he dreamt. So he could mm. remember his dreams really well. So you would get all these, you know, it would shift from one thing to another, and celebrities would be in there sometimes, and ex wives and stuff. Fun, 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 I guess. <laughs> 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 fun for me. Anyway, that's, that, that's my pick, Rick Faich. Good pick.
2: All right. Well, mine are in no particular order whatsoever because I didn't want to favor anybody over over anybody else. But uh, the the first one I'm going to go with, and this is probably going to be very obvious for anybody that that listens to you know all of our different shows, particularly uh, Back to the Bins and Tales of the JSA. But uh, I, I could not do this episode and not mention this person. I would be completely remiss if I didn't. So, my first pick is uh, artist Rich Buckler. Um, I just, I love this guy's art, and I just he, wish that he, uh, I hear Mike he, he,
1: he, No, the only reason I'm saying is like he is so backlogged on the checks for all the, yeah. the mentions that we give him, <laughs> that uh, I'm kind of uncomfortable with you mentioning him again, because we're not getting paid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I just, my I, I tried to do my list by by people that I've always liked, I've always respected that some of their work is some of you know, on, on different titles is some of my favorite stuff and the stuff that I hold up is great comics. But I just never hear anybody talk about them, you know, either the works or the comics themselves, or I mean the uh, artists or the, or the works themselves. And Rich Buckler is definitely on that list. I mean, it, it's not like he's an unknown you know, I mean, he's been around. He's worked on a zillion things in comics. And oh, yeah. a lot of the, uh, the the guys that were big shit, especially during, like, the 80s, were sort of like protégés of his. You know, like Byrne. Um, I believe Perez studied under him or worked yes, he under him. Yes, like so, I mean, there there's the two biggest guys of the 80s right there, Byrne and Perez, as far as artists go. And this is the guy that they... Kind of learned under, you know, we're schooled under. Yet, he himself, you know, just doesn't seem to get near the recognition. And uh, just a couple of things, real quick, that that brought him to my attention as a kid, right out of the gate, Deathlock.
3: Oh, uh, I was going to mention that.
2: Yeah, and one. astonishing. Uh, what is this? Astonishing tales, I believe. Damn good stuff, and a really good story. And it's it's it, it's his art. That makes that story so compelling, I think, because yeah, it's a cool story and it's uh, you know, it's the whole Robocop story, really. You know, the guy dies and he's brought back as a cyborg, you know, and, and that whole thing. But I think it's really Buckler's art that pulls that story together and makes it so dynamic because he had a great visual for Deathlock. He just made that character look really cool and freakish and kinda eerie. Um yeah, he's-
3: I think his storytelling uh, is amazingly strong. I actually met him at, at New York Comic Con. He's a really cool guy. And uh, I was telling him, like, that, you know, he has a lot of energy in his, in his, uh, his art. And yes. Yeah, so his Deathlock stuff, I was like, wow, that's awesome. I, I would like to get that in a collection someday uh, eventually because the, the individual issues are kind of hard to find.
2: Well, another one that, uh, if you like that, one I would highly recommend that I don't know if it's been collected or not but if it hasn't it needs to be collected that is very much along the same lines as deathlock is his work on uh, the living mummy in supernatural thrillers oh, I can't that tell is yeah that is some really dynamic stuff i like that and uh i've seen a little bit of his work in uh jungle action when he was working on um, black panther that's some really great stuff. And, you know, that's one of those characters that I could honestly give a shit about is Black Panther, but his art style is so dynamic in that that it's just gorgeous to look at. And that's the kind of artist I really respect in comics is when they can, you know, take a character that, you know, interests me not in the least, yet they do something new and, and dynamic visually with the character and, and really make me take notice because uh, back in, I believe it was 88, he was the artist on the uh, the twelve issue maxi uh, saga of the Submariner, and you talk about a character that I just can't stand is Submariner, yet his art on that is just great. I mean he, he creates a a whole language for that character and in, in his whole undersea kingdom and that whole thing, and it, it just made me really want to to collect all those issues and read that story just because his art is so great. But the, the big thing, you know, if this guy were to get more notice or more recognition or, or go down, you know, historically for something in comics, the thing I'd like to see him more recognized for is his work on Superman. Because I, I think he's one of those unsung supermen. Yeah. he He's just, oh, his Superman is awesome. Mm-hmm. Really top-notch. And not only don't I hear his name mentioned very often at all as an artist, but I sure don't hear him listed in the, you know, when people list off great Superman artists. You know, you you get the typical ones. I never hear Buckler's name mentioned in connection with Superman. And it's it's a damn shame because he's he's got an awesome Superman. So that's my first one. Rich Buckler, great, great artist.
3: Which uh, Superman run did uh, did he do, by the way?
2: He worked uh I think he worked on both let me see here. He worked on both action and did he work yeah, he worked on both action and Superman. Um I can't cite you individual he, issues. He off didn't the top. have
1: a long extended run, but yeah. He would do a story here, a story there. He would do some D C comics presents. Uh you know, we recently covered his awesome, awesome, awesome um World's finest, World's finest 271, yeah. which I got my copy of. That's not yellowed and whipped to shit, and it's just so
2: beautiful <laughs> to look at. That may <laughs> nice. be part of why he doesn't have, uh, you know, more of a rep or whatever. Is that he really was one of these? Um, not so much like a fill in guy, but he just did a lot of like, uh, one and done's. You know, he didn't really do uh-huh. a whole lot of runs. And that may be part of the, the contributing factor is that, you know, I, I'm looking, for example, like it is DC Comics Present stuff. That's the stuff that always comes to mind when I think of him. But really, I mean, there's no sequence to it at all. It's just, you know, an issue here, an issue there. Yeah, it I know. Seems he's to... okay, okay, sorry. I was just to say, he did like, uh, the first annual with the two Superman, uh, oh. with the X of, of Earth One and Earth Two swapped Superman. He did that, and it was fantastic. He did uh, number forty nine, which I'm pretty sure is a, is a Superman and ba- uh, excuse me, Superman and uh, Captain Marvel fight Black Adam. I'm pretty sure, and that was a great issue. So yeah, but you know, not nothing as far as runs.
3: Well, he's had a respectable run on Fantastic Four too. That was like in the seventies, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, he yeah.
2: He, burn. Yeah,
3: they've they've got a they've got a
1: good interview with him on the um, Fantastic Four Special Edition DVD. Oh, the DVD.
3: Yeah, I saw that. Thing oh, where,
1: where, where, Yeah, have you never seen that, Scott?
2: No, I haven't.
1: Next time you come over, we're gonna pop that in and the Silver Surfer one too, where you get to see all the Silver Surfer writers talk and see what a goofy looking motherfucker JM DeMatteis is. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh it's like 16 different kinds of awesome to to see him talk and yeah, his his run on his run on FF is probably outside of Burn and Kirby one of the more visually stunning ones uh, of that team's history, I think.
3: Yeah, they even made a trade. I think they uh they recently uh they recently released a, a premier hardcover of uh the Fantastic Four with his art and uh I forgot what it was called. I will look it up right now, though, <laughs> in the meantime. But uh, he also did a run on. Uh, he actually did one of the, the more memorable Spider Man um, issues by Peter David, which was the Sin Eater storyline. Uh, oh, yes. The Gene, the the Death Wolf, Death right? of Gene DeWolf. Yeah. Yeah, he did that, too.
1: That is just. A, you're absolutely right on DC Comics Presents number 49. Scott. Being that was the
2: Captain Marvel story? Mm hmm. Yeah. Good stuff.
1: Indeed. Indeed, indeed.
3: It's amazing how how wide of scope his artwork is is spread out through all the DC and Marvel universes. Oh, God.
1: Black Adam is just fucking owning Superman in this story.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's one of those guys. I mean, you know, the the biggest artists in in comics, you know, for, for the mainstream stuff, are the guys that have touched all the major characters in both those universes, like your John Byrne and your and your George Paris. So that's what really floors me that you don't hear Buckler mentioned in the same, you know, in the same circles with those guys because he touched the same characters. You know, he's worked on the on the same thing and, and brought the awesome to all those, those things that he worked on. So yeah, it, it really is a, a mystery to me why he's not, uh, mentioned more. He
1: just was never considered a superstar, and really and truly, in the era that he was a that he was really in, you know, in his own. You know, if if you weren't a Neil Adams or a John Byrne or a George Perez or a or a Jim Starlin, you know, you didn't get the ink that other people did. I think if he was around, or if they had had the internet in the seventies, yeah, you probably would have had more of a following for him. Because people, you know, comic fans are like that. You know, they'll someone would have done a, a Rich Buckler website and he would have been, like, number one. So,
3: Right. That's yeah, just he's, kind of, of, he's kind of the in-between guy, you know. <laughs> but uh, I was mistaken. It wasn't the fast. Uh, the recent uh, premiere hardcover wasn't the FF. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I should get a couple lashings with a wet noodle. You I'm wish. not
1: coming anywhere near you with a wet anything. Really. <laughs> I like you, but still, come on, let's just keep this as friends.
2: <laughs> I think we're back to the top of the list.
1: All righty, so we're with me, and I'm going to bring a writer to the list. And my number four, with a bullet, um, is Gerard Jones. Interesting. He started off as a writer for like National Lampoon, And then he and his uh, writing partner, Will Jacobs, did something called The Beaver Papers, which was a satirical book that had great authors of the 1950s turning in pitches for a, a last season of Leave it to Beaver because they all liked the series so much. And this got them quite a bit of ink, and they released a book called Comic Book Heroes, which was originally like one of them wanted it to be like a reader one like a a reader like this is what you should read from these era, and another one of them wanted like a history and they kind of mashed that together. Well, that kind of put them on the uh, the uh, radar of Amazing Heroes and they started writing reviews and such for that, and eventually they broke into the to the business. One of their first books was called The Trouble with Girls, which was kind of a James Bond satire. But eventually he went over to D.C., and the biggest thing he did at D.C. was Green Lantern. He started scripting Emerald Dawn with issue two, and then after Emerald Dawn, he started writing the Green Lantern ongoing and did that for 46 issues, 47 issues and i think that that era of green lantern is probably you know it the back half of his run wasn't as good as the the first 25 issues but that first 25 issues was awesome and he wrote green lantern mosaic and if you've never read green lantern mosaic you need to read green lantern mosaic That's it's the a, store on
3: store one right
1: yes and it's an awesome series and he was just he was the caretaker of the Green Lantern universe for a couple years. And then sales started going down and they did the whole Kyle Rayner thing, but I think he had a pretty decent take on Hal Jordan. He made Hal Jordan very interesting. You know, a lot of people say he made Hal Jordan whiny and all that, but I think he 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 brought more personality to the character because he was actually thinking about what he was doing, but not in that obnoxious green arrow giving him a hard time way. Mm. Like him just trying to figure his life out and slowly he rebuilds the Green Lantern Corps. And it was just a neat arc to see that happen over a couple of years. And he, and he wrote Guy Gardner very well. There was a four part story called A Guy yeah. and His Nort that is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> and uh, for a while there it would be like four issues about Hal, four issues about Jon Stewart, and four issues about Guy until he finally had Guy and Hal duke it out in Green Lantern number 25, and that's when Guy had to leave the Corps and went off and got Sinestro's Yellow Power Ring and his series started. But, um, you know, not everything he's written was good. I thought his Justice League America run after Zero Hour was pretty awful. But at the same time, he... He was a smart writer. He brought a lot of character to his his his, uh, his series, and you know he. I really need to check out his Shadow Strikes series, which is the book that replaced the the Andy Helfer, Helfer written Shadow series that came out after Howard Jenkins' mini series, mm-hmm. because it's one. It's drawn by Eduardo Barreto, who I hope is on somebody's list because I forgot to put him on mine. As an underappreciated artist, but um, it looked really good and and really solid. And and he would do bizarre things, like he did he did a four issue Adventures of Ford Fairlane.
2: Mix. That's the one I just <laughs> sent you the link to.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. That is a prequel to the movie.
0: Is that the one with the uh, Dice Clay? Yep. Yes.
3: That's, are you are you fucking serious? Wow. The the
0: prequel that everybody was demanding.
1: (laughs) That's my choice. I really like the guy. And he, after he kind of left comics behind, he's written several books. One, kind of tangentially about comics. But they did a new kind of bitter version of uh, edition of Comic Book Heroes. He did a book called Killing Monsters, Why Children Need superheroes and violence on TV and all that. And he basically did this whole study on children and violence, and basically all of those studies you, you hear about children reacting violently to, like, a Power Rangers episode, he pretty much blew the whistle on why that's such a scam.
0: Why well, it's he just turned it on its head, basically.
1: Yeah, because what they do... What he pointed out, which I thought was, was really neat, I never thought about it, is that if you watch, like, an episode of The Power Rangers, there's the beginning.
0: Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! You okay?
1: <laughs> My wife almost fell. And she's... What happened? Sorry about that, guys. I'm scared okay. the hell out of me.
0: It uh, sounded like your dog attacked you. Yeah, I thought
3: you stepped on your dog or something.
1: But anyways, when you watch an episode of the Power Rangers, there's the beginning, which is calm. There's the lead up to the action. There's the action. And then there's like a, a like a, for lack of a better term, a come down where a what now you process like the calm. Uh,
0: it sounds like a ending- porno, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> We're basically where you like you're coming down <laughs> off of drugs.
0: <laughs> oh, come down! Okay, I get it.
1: But what he just had to
2: make it relevant to drugs, and he gets it now.
1: <laughs> but um, what he what he found out was all these studies were doing was sitting the kids in front of a TV and showing them the big fight scene, and then reacting to that, not the thing as a whole.
0: Ah, so.
1: Yeah, it's going to seem like kids react violently to it. But, you know, I and when, when I read that, I was like, yeah, that was me as a kid. I'd get really excited. And then you'd have, like, the whole ending where they told you the moral of the story or whatever. And you calm down and you get ready for the next cartoon. So, but he did a book called um, Geek, um, what was that book called? I have it right here. Geeks, Men, of, Men of Tomorrow, Geeks, Gangsters, and the Birth of the Comic Book where he wrote a very raw and unfiltered history of comic books that was really good like because he not only told the story of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and you know the fight they had with DC he is the first one to ever humanize Jack Leibowitz and Harry Donenfeld and the other people that were that have been cast as the villains in the whole Siegel schuster fight, you know, saying you know, showing their backgrounds and their history and why they acted the way they did. It's a great book. I recommend it. But uh, but his comic book work is really solid as well.
3: The reason I said that the the draw Jones uh, pick was interesting is because it's it's just it's just yeah I can't speak. <laughs> was that a this, you know, Jeff Johns has the whole you know stranglehold on the Green Lantern franchise now, mm-hmm. and it's interesting how much of his stuff has been undone. Oh to yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, but but that's DC's
1: move recently. So I mean, freaking Dan Di referred to what was done to to Hal Jordan as a sin when it made the character interesting for like the first
5: time.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, and I, I, I like the way that um, when you mentioned that he had alternating or Green Lanterns for the main uh, book. Uh, I wish Jeff did that with the main book because it's just all Hal, and I would like to see maybe a, like a mixture of all different lanterns to make you know to mix it up, you know, make it a little interesting. Because uh, I'm not really you know it's interesting because I think. Uh, uh, Scott can also you know, agree with me with this is that is his Green Lantern is in spite of Hal Jordan, it's, it's interesting. Exactly, <laughs> I mean, it's, yes. Yeah, <laughs>
1: That's a great way to put it, Will. Not
2: because of him, in spite of him, yes. Yeah,
3: that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean he he's a great plotter. He knows how to plot stuff. And and his his Hal Jordan it, it's just kind of there. He's a cipher for, you know for his own you know he's not very personality uh driven i don't know it's, it's like it's just not well as interesting to me the the point of green
1: lantern is to show how
3: awesome hal jordan
1: is not to tell a story about hal jordan but to show why he is the biggest badass in the dc universe and that was the entire point of blackest night really
3: yeah, I mean, I think actually Darwin Cook uh, had a better take on on Hal. Oh, uh, God,
1: New Frontier had a great take on Hal Jordan.
3: Uh, yeah, very good. Um, and it's interesting also that didn't he make Hal like a like a drunk or something in, in Emerald Dawn or something like um,
1: that? He came in as a scripter on that, so I think that was more Keith Giffen's idea. Uh, but Hal had a drinking problem, and... Like right before he got the ring, he was uh, involved in a drunk driving accident that uh, crippled his brother. Oh, I see. And it added this dimension. In fact, the, uh, the second Emerald Dawn is called 90 Days because not only does it tell how Sinestro trained Hal Jordan, but the backdrop is is that he was in jail for the drunk driving. Uh, and right when he goes into jail to serve his ninety-day sentence, that's when Sinestro shows up to train him. Oh. and he inadvertently got- ends up causing invasion. But that was a nice little backwards tip that uh, that they added into it that I kind of liked. One of the few times I liked that sort of thing too.
3: That's pretty cool, Sinestro. So that that little uh, tidbit there sounds kind of like he's kind of his parole officer or something in, in a way. Well, like.
1: he was brought in to train him because Sinestro was at that point considered by, you know, John's did the same thing where, uh, you know, picked up off of that where he was the, considered to be the best Green Lantern, so he was going to be the one to go train the new guy on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hal Jordan ends up bringing him down during the course of Emerald Dawn 2 because he goes to, how do you pronounce that planet name? Korrigar?
3: Yeah, like Yeah.
5: And,
1: and he sees it's like this fascistic state, and he's like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't good. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so, pretty interesting. Yeah, Emerald Dawn 1 and 2, completely recommend both of those.
3: Yeah, right it's interesting.
1: The Green Lantern stories.
3: Yeah, it's just funny to me because, like, recent like Green Lantern fans seem to like not like that story compared to the recent Secret Origin because the whole junk thing and I don't know. It's a whole thing, but uh, I'm going to check it out though based on a recommendation. Thanks, uh, thanks, Mike. Very good.
1: That's all I got for that one.
3: <laughs> what you awesome. got, Will? All right, I'm it up to the, uh, to an artist now. I'm going to give it to uh, I'm going to give it to Cal Baker. Cal Baker is a Really good artist. He, he, he's mostly good known choice. for his. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's mostly known for his cartoonish type of work. He's done work on DC with uh, Plastic Man. As of you know, I think that was in like 2003 or four. Is it?
0: Yeah, Maybe? I have a bunch mm-hmm. of those. Those were great. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, very fun comics. And he also did a few. Uh, he does his own like he has like a self published thing. I, I forgot it was like a like a war thing. I, I forget what it's called. But um, he also did the work on the Shadow. He did uh, Justice Inc., which I uh, hope to review with Scott someday. Very, very off, you know, uh, very unique. Um, he also did a uh, Disney's Dick Tracy, which is quite also also. Oh unique man, comic. I
1: love that book.
2: Yeah, that was some good stuff.
1: Oh gee, that was that that was right before the movie came out. My mom got me the first issue because she went to the Disney store and saw it. And it blew my freaking mind. I was so I was kind of disappointed in the movie a little bit because <laughs> it wasn't more like the comic.
3: Yeah, the comic is really interesting. It's it's very adult for for a kids what's supposed to be like yes. a kids Disney thing, and it's interesting like a clash of styles uh, between Dick Tracy and the rest of the characters. And I was told by Evan Dorkin, who was his close friend, uh, who's another indie uh, kind of a big indie guy. Yeah, he's great. Uh, that, yeah, he's a good guy. He's, he's a very local talent around here, and uh, he was told to to draw him like more like Warren Beatty. Uh, yeah, it was a his.
2: licensing thing. Yeah, yeah, he had to. He was under orders. He had to make Tracy look like Warren Beatty. But the rest of the guys, he had free reign to do what he wanted with, and that's why they looked much closer to uh, the Chester Gould models. Yet, what's cool is that you know he just gave Tracy. Um, Beatty's face but then everything else you know his his body and his movements and everything the backgrounds that's pure Kyle Baker it. and yeah. it's gorgeous
1: yeah his yeah. his mumble I'm looking at a blog posting somebody like uh, scanned in some of the pages his mumbles and his flat top look fucking awesome
3: yeah <laughs> yeah the guy is awesome and uh, the most recent Marvel work he did was uh, Truth Red Black and White well, well outside of um, some various uh, Deadpool stuff. I'm not a big fan of his current style. It's more CG and computer-generated looking. It's kind of eh. Uh, but uh, his 80s stuff is terrific. And even the stuff leading up to uh, the more modern stuff, it's really good. I had an issue
2: make- when, uh, when Classics Illustrated came back in the oh, 90s. Yeah. He did uh, Alice in Wonderland. And you talk about an artist suited to a project. I mean, it was perfect because... His style, to me, you know, Chris was talking earlier about dreamlike. This is a guy that could do dreamlike. You know, his art looks dreamlike. And, uh, yeah, that, that Alice in Wonderland adaptation is just freaking phenomenal, man. It's really nice stuff.
3: I have to check that out. I have to pick that up. Is that from Disney, too?
2: No. Uh, they,
1: they did a whole um, in... Right around 1990, they, they tried to bring... They brought back classics illustrated as a prestige format series
2: yeah i don't know what company that was that was doing that though i'm not seeing that here i'm i'm looking oh he also did cyrano de bergerac oh berkeley it was berkeley first public so first comics that's what it was it was first comics was doing that oh okay but yeah it's it's nice really nice yeah. stuff that's that's a good pick because he is uh you know, he's another guy. I don't hear him mentioned very often, but yeah, he's got some uh, some really good stuff. Now I'm seeing in his in the list of his works here, they're also talking about I mentioned uh, Howard the Duck, the movie adaptation. Oh, yeah, he pencils that. that. Oh my God, I I have to go back and look at that, but that must be some of his earliest stuff because I remember um, I have at least one issue of that and thought it was <laughs>
0: it was abysmal. It so was terrible. I remember that. Yeah. I remember the <laughs> okay. you and I mocking that like in the in the story, you know, looking at it going, Oh yep. no. <laughs> it can't possibly be worse than the movie. Come on. I mean <laughs> No, I'm sure it's better than the movie. Well like that's an movie. apologist. Oh, ooh, both of you.
2: Hey, he won a he won an Eisner in two thousand six for uh for that plastic man book that he was working on.
0: Yeah, it was highly
3: acclaimed. It was really good. I want to get a, like a trade of that something. Hopefully, they'll reprint it, but it seems like it's one of those uh, out of print things.
2: Now, is that the same series where one of the covers was like a cover of like the New Yorker with Plaz all like stretched out, all weird, and he's looking at like abstract art in a gallery I or think, something like that? I think
0: that? it was. I think I may have that one.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to check that out because I, I like Plastic Man, but I only like him when he's done in in particular ways. So I'd be I'd be curious to check that out.
0: Well, he's a really good okay. guy in a bright red suit. Okay,
1: guys, <laughs> I'm gonna brag. Since I have lost that first issue, I just bought the entire set of the Dick Tracy miniseries for eight bucks. Ooh, nice, three, sweet three ninety nine with four dollars shipping.
3: Nice. Do
2: you have that, Will?
3: Yeah, actually, just picked. Those, I picked those up like uh, maybe like a year ago.
2: Well, I've uh, had mine forever in a day, and they're just sitting in a box. Um, I think I only ever read just one issue of that. So, if you guys want to team up sometime, oh we're, yeah, we're that would be great. That. That'd be a lot of fun. I, I, oh. I, I, I like because I love that movie.
5: Yeah,
1: I was and about you know to say. Not kids do we...
2: like that movie too because I, I rented it for my kids not long ago, thinking, yeah, they might like this, and they loved it. So yeah, I was
1: about to say that might be a good like. All-encompassing episode to not only talk about uh, the comics, but the movie and the T-shirts to get into the midnight showing.
2: Oh, that's right, yeah, and
1: all, and just just how big of a deal that movie was, and how much it in relatively flopped. Yeah, and it's
2: it's a shame too that it did because I th- even at the time I thought it was a pretty good movie, and I didn't yeah. know shit. I still don't know
0: shit about Dick Tracy beyond the movie. I think it <laughs> yeah. suffered from overhyping. That's what happened. Is well, they expected
1: it to be the next Batman,
0: right?
2: Yeah,
1: and, and it just well, wasn't
0: didn't it? It well. was like the
2: next big th- big thing after Batman, wasn't yeah, it? It, mean, it was summer
1: nineteen ninety,
0: and yeah. they were very expressionistic with the sets and everything, and were going for that shadowy, which actually uh, I thought they pulled it off a little better with Dick Tracy than they did with Batman. You know that cartoony yeah. sort of two dimensional but three dimensional. Look to things and the bright colors and everything. I thought they pulled it off really well in, in Dick Tracy. Save it yeah. for the special!
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved Dick Tracy when I was a kid. It was, it was such a, a cool movie. Wasn't Madonna, Madonna in that one, too? Uh-huh. Yep. And, yes. uh,
1: I'm, I'm looking it up right now, but the, she the, plays, the woman that played uh,
2: something Mahoney, I can't remember. Breathless Mahoney. Here. Breathless, that was it. Breathless, yeah.
1: They had as Tess Trueheart, um, what is that woman's name?
2: Oh, she's a babe, Glenn
1: Headley, who is yeah. just freaking gorgeous. But you had William Forsyth as a flat top, the dude from Raising Arizona, that was yep. wow. Chuck's partner, <laughs> and
0: uh, Dustin, Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman. as mumbles. mumbles. Dick uh,
2: Van Dyke as a scumbag. I mean, how often do you see <laughs> Dick Van Dyke play a dirt bag? You know,
1: and uh, God, who else was in that? Who Who was the the main bad guy? Was uh, Al Pacino? Al Pacino.
0: Al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, and Warren you know, Beatty
1: actually was a really good Dick Tracy.
0: Warren yeah, Beatty's excellent. a really good actor. I think his ego like sort of subverts him, but, but you know he's Paul a great Sorvino actor. was uh, Lips Manless.
1: Mm-hmm. Charles no, Durning was Charles Durning was in that. Charles Fleischer.
0: Charles Durning's one of That's my all-time That's right. I forgot Charles actors. Fleischer was in there.
1: Uh, Mandy Patinkin as Eighty Eight Keys.
3: Wow.
2: It's an old oh, awesome uh, cast right. Ron Howard's brother. What's what's his name? Clint. Uh, Clint. Yeah. He's in that.
1: Cole Meany.
2: Or no, uh, I'm I'm sorry, not Clint. I, I'm thinking of uh I get, I'm getting my Star Trek characters mixed up. Not Clint Howard, but the guy who played uh yeah. Chris. No, 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 no. You'll know who I'm talking about, Chris. The the episode the no blah 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 episode. The guy who played John, the leader of the kids. Uh-huh. You know that funny looking dude? He was in Scrooged with Bill Murray. He was the bum that ends up freezing to death.
1: Oh, uh, Michael J. Pollard.
2: Is that his name?
1: Yeah, he was Mister Mixes peddler on Superboy. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Oh, he actually looks like <laughs> he actually looks like Mrs. Pitlick.
1: Uh Henry Silva, James Khan Col Meany... You guys Henry are just Knights. trying to trick
0: me to say my name backwards, <laughs> 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 motherfuckers. Very- <laughs>
2: That was great. <laughs> what's your uh, What's your next one, Chris? I am Sorry, I,
1: I just I just got really excited about Dick Tracy all of a sudden.
3: Yeah, just just one last word. Uh, it's just it's interesting how Dick Tracy has a uh, similarity with with the Shadow. They both had their own movies, both drawn by Kyle Baker, and both kind of uh. And both Adam's- movies were awesome. Yeah. Yes.
2: And under underappreciated, yeah. which ties in with our theme.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. I hand it over to to, uh, to Chris. Well, you know, um, the next one I'm picking is uh, Jim Woodring. Anybody familiar with uh, Jim Woodring? Sounds familiar. He, uh, I don't know if he's ever done any. He like I've been wanting to go back. His big comic that I first noticed it was a, I, I believe Fantagraphics. It was just called Jim. And it was sort of like his own anthology comic. And he has a beautiful, very round, semi-realistic, cartoony, psychedelic sort of style. Very sparing on any kind of uh, dialogue or text. He tells a lot of stories silently. And he's another one who goes you know, deep into the subconscious you know, his comics read like weird symbolic dreams which sounds very dry and boring, but they're awesome you know, he has all these weird characters, you know, there's this like half man half pig character and um, Frank is his uh, there was a series of Frank comics and there was a series of Frank coffee table books, hardcover books that I saw on eBay that are going for, you know, ungodly amounts of money. I think when they were originally printed, they were very expensive too. So I think he's almost treated a lot like a fine artist more than a comic artist, and that's really a shame because it it limits his audience to being probably 50% pretentious, you know, assholes. Who are just sort of reading it because <laughs> their asshole friends told them it was good because they read it in their asshole magazine that it was good. Preach it, brother. Preach it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he—I mean—he really should be in the you know—I mean—in uh, the mass. Um, he has done some work. Actually, I've seen him. He doesn't turn up in mainstream comics, but I would see him turn up every once in a while in um. Star Wars Tales was it was that the anthology? It was like a sixty four page anthology. That's comics. right. Yes, he would he would turn up with stories in that every once in a while, which were beautiful because his art style mixed with Star Wars was just great. And uh, he
2: did an issue of Turtle Soup too, which, if it's the title I'm thinking of, was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles anthology, wasn't
0: it? I, I could see him doing that. I could see him doing that yeah you know, i I think because of his dreamy stuff they they look at him as being very intellectual or whatever but he's really you know just uh, it, it's hilar his stuff is hilarious but it always has that undercurrent of a little creepy too but there's now,
2: is he a writer artist
0: yes yeah okay but you know I think in I, I'm not sure I believe in like the Star Wars tales he was probably just an artist you know he probably just they gave him a story and and he did it. But for the most part, when you see something that he's done recently, and I don't think he's actually had, you know, a continuing comic in years, you know, probably like a decade, you know, it all seems to come out as as books and mostly focusing on his Frank character, which is this little furry sort of Disney-looking guy who's just sort of, his main character and is always running afoul of weird he's sort of walking around in this weird dreamlike world and you know he'll run afoul of certain plants or you know he'll they'll be it's almost like Bugs Bunny you know he'll run upon a character and they'll have a misunderstanding or somebody will be uh, trying to steal his apples you know it's all very basic simple stuff but it's Oh, it draws me in every every time I get a hold of some of his stuff you know it's a uh, one of those great special experiences where you sit down and you know just sort of absorb every page and then I'll go and read them again but uh lately I've been trying to pick up some of his stuff on eBay and it's just so expensive I don't know if it was just underprinted or is in big demand or if there's too many artsy fartsy fucking people out there trying to make their bookshelf look nice but i wish they wouldn't oh, what was his name chris <laughs> jim woodring
3: jim woodring i'll have to look him up yeah, it yeah. sounds like an interesting uh yeah
2: i was looking him up while we were talking yeah he's done some interesting stuff here i i he love his style on, uh, he worked on that uh superman batman world's funniest book which i still haven't ever read but i've heard that it's really really hilarious it's pretty good
1: there are parts that are like yeah, but there are other parts that are kind of funny. The Alex Ross pages are kind of funny. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, this is interesting art. It's kind of um, it's kind, kind of, of like duck, duck Man.
0: Yeah, I I I think of it more sort of like Disney mixed with psychedelic drugs, a little <laughs> bit. You know, it's it's got that cartoony. You know, that everything has that the um fatness to it you know it's got that round feel solid I don't know what I'm trying to describe here but you know how um if say if you work in Disney as a as a artist in any sort of function they they teach you how to draw a certain way so the characters have their mass in a certain place house style yeah and he's sort of got that that feel to it you know the the where the mass of his characters are it's like old disney cartoons and stuff you know his character is sort of like a bean with four little arms coming off it and stuff and weird but he does weird like there's this one character that looks sort of like a book that's been opened up and you know flopped down on the ground with legs and weird eyes on it i just love it i love that weird shit
2: he was a penciler and inker on Happy Birthday Nat Rat number one from nineteen eighty seven. I remember this freaking book.
0: Rat. I, oh I my. believe I own that, that comic somewhere. Is it does it have like a Bill Senkowitz cover? Doesn't that comic yeah. it's like all Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a takeoff on Batman
2: what was this issue, Mike? You would know. at Batman is this four hundred? Yes. The one where That's all exactly the villains broke out? The- yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
1: the the ones that where all the villains broke out of jail like five, six, seven years before nightfall. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I don't know that I've read that particular issue, but there was an issue of Nat Rat where the cover was a was a take on uh, the Dark Knight Returns number one. And it's been probably 20 years since I read it. But I remember loving that issue and thought it was freaking hysterical when I was a kid reading that. I don't know why now. <laughs> I need to dig it back out and read it. Maybe it wouldn't be so funny today, but I remember at the time thinking it was just the funniest thing I'd read.
0: Well, it, it reminds- It's right
1: up there with Man of Rust.
0: <laughs> it, I remember that. It's, this is, it sort of goes back to, um, I don't know if this uh, episode will be out, but it will be out soon around this Back to the Bins, the comic monthly Monday 20 where we had Johnny Bueno out and he was talking about West Coast comic shops. And that's where I picked up – that's where I first found Jim Woodring was – I was at this one comic shop, and I was looking through one of them, and I was like, wow, I really like this art style. And I'd seen some of it in, I think, um, a Whole Earth catalog type something. So I noticed there were like five or six issues there, so I'm like, I'm going to pick up all these because I'll probably never see them again, which was a good idea at the time because I have never seen them again, but – that was my introduction to it, and that was, I think, in San Francisco, and then we went up to Seattle, and then I hit all the comic shops in Seattle and got a whole bunch more of his stuff all in this whole week. I had a whole pile of them, and that's basically, I think, almost all I've had. Every once in a while, I'll find one on eBay or something, but his stuff is always really expensive.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I have to hunt down the stuff. It looks pretty cool. I actually kind of
0: like it. Oh, I think I do have that 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 Nat Rat. Oh, that's right. This was all stuff written by Mark Martin. Yep. And I used that's to right. read a lot of Mark Martin stuff because I had a roommate named Mark Martin, and he used to buy it because he would buy everything that had his name, <laughs> on, it. name on it. So he had a lot of racing <laughs> stuff too. Yeah. NASCAR stuff. But that's about all I have to say about about Jim Woodring, except buy it if you see it get it it's great look for the comics they're less expensive than the humongous coffee table books but I'll bet you if you can afford that kind of thing I'll bet you they're beautiful I'll bet you they're printed really nicely and all that happy bullshit cool (laughs) they will look (laughs) lovely in your bookshelf and your friends will think you're intellectual they'll say ah Jim (laughs) Woodring yes I've heard of him I read about him in thmehmeh magazine they said he was good.
1: Didn't they do an article on, on him in Spin Magazine at one point? Probably. Is that what all the
0: pretentious people read? Probably. You know, there, there was all a... The
1: pretentious
5: <laughs> <people>.
0: <laughs> there, there was probably a time when they were talking about him and Peter Bagg and Daniel Klaus.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> the, tri- <laughs> the trifecta of pretentious comic fans. Yeah, and it's
0: sad because the uh, I, I'm a big fan of all those guys. And, yeah, and that whole, well, it all just, it all went, it was all happening at the same time and in the same place as grunge. And that was one of yeah. the most, like, crappiest, lamest, I don't even want to call it, like, a music or art movement or whatever, but whatever trend it was, uh, bleh. Then they got associated with all that stuff because they were all around in the Seattle West Coast area, and it's too bad because, it's not too bad because it actually has brought at least Klaus and and Bag, at least some recognition so they can still make a living, but, and maybe Jim Woodring to an extent too, I don't really know, but... Yeah, but they're associated with that that kind of thing, and really, most of the time, they were sort of mocking that culture, you know, that they that they were among. But I that's what I always find funny is always these cheesy cultures will adopt things that are open openly mocking them because they think it's celebrating them. I love it. <laughs> that's all I'm, I'm going to jump say. in
2: with my next one, if that's all right.
0: Yeah,
3: good Scott.
2: My next one sure. is uh, again an artist and this is one of those people I, I won't profess to know a whole lot about this uh, this artist because I, I haven't really seen a whole heck of a lot of his work. It's just one of these guys that what I have seen I absolutely love and, uh, and whenever I see something you know when I'm, I'm digging through like say 50 cent bins or something if I happen to come across something by him i'll more than likely snap it up just because i think he's a phenomenal artist and uh another one of these guys i'm just surprised that you don't hear more about or that you just haven't heard more people say oh yeah i love that guy as a matter of fact whenever his name comes up most of the time people are like hmm i don't really know who that is but uh i don't know what issue it was but again a a title i mentioned earlier in connection with Rich Buckler, was uh, Supernatural Thrillers. And I had an issue of Supernatural Thrillers when I was a kid. I don't know what issue it was, but it was an issue, I think it was a coverless one, and it had The Living Mummy in it. And it was drawn by this artist. It's uh, Val Mayerick, and uh, between Supernatural Thrillers and his work in that title with The Living Mummy, and then he was also the artist that took over for Frank Plug on um, Frankenstein by Marvel, between those two books, I just fell in love with this guy's art. He's just phenomenal and really good with like the the creepy stuff, you know, with the with the big lumbering hulking monsters like Frankenstein and the Living Mummy, and it, it's just really good stuff. I've seen him do other things. You know, he's probably best known for working with uh, Steve Gerber on man thing but Ah. i was never much of a man thing fan just because i always considered man thing uh, you know a second rate swamp thing knockoff which you know as i would learn later wasn't really true but that's how that was my perception of man thing as a kid so i i just had that prejudice against the character but you know he's worked on a lot of other stuff but just nothing i ever really followed with any regularity. He's another one of these guys similar to Buckler that just has done a lot of stuff, but not really any, you know, big runs anywhere. But uh, this, you know, mostly this horror stuff, but um, you know, if you, if you ever have any interests in Marvel horror, I mean, I, he's definitely worth hunting down. I, uh, it took me a while to complete it, but I finally got a complete collection of Marvel's Frankenstein and I'm never sure exactly what to call that title because it went through a couple different title changes. I think it started as the Monster of Frankenstein, and then a couple issues in it changed to like the Frankenstein Monster or something like that, or maybe it's the other way around. But God, that was a good book. It was just really solid because in the beginning, you know, it started out with with the Plugar.
0: Didn't it become Dose House of Dark. Frankenstein for a while too, or something like
2: that? Uh, I don't know. That might have been the Black and White magazine. I'm oh, not sure. Yeah, I don't okay.
0: Know it did
2: but you know it started out as pretty much a faithful adaptation of the original book and then after a few issues I, I guess they felt like they weren't really sure where they were going or where they could go and frankenstein you know the monster wound up frozen in ice again and then was brought into modern day stories and that's how he was able to team up with like spider man in Marvel team up, which that issue where he teams up with Spider-Man, now that I think about it, that may be drawn by Mayerick. I'll have to look that up, but uh, just, you know, just a really good artist with, uh, with really, you know, a dynamic art style and just really able to, uh, to draw. It's, it's almost like a mashup of say like Bernie Wrightson
3: and And Frank Rosetta. Uh, or, yeah, just... maybe
2: even yeah, maybe even for Zeta. But you know, just the the really creepy stuff. But it's not it's not over the top into horror. It's it's a nice blending of of horror, you know, a, a creepy horrorish style with a, a traditional comic book action style, like like say like Neil Adams or something like that. So really nice stuff. And uh, I would swear that he had done some work on that DC title from a few years back that I think it was called legends of the DC universe, but I'm not seeing that in the list of credits for this artist that I'm looking at now, but I'd swear that he did a Superman story a few years back in that, in that title. I'm just not seeing it here, but uh,
1: yeah, that was about a decade ago, Scott, by the way.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I could definitely, definitely see the the, the Bernie Wrightson um, part of, of of his art. I, I was gonna, just going to say that it's, it's pretty. It's a pretty apt comparison. Uh, very cool. I, I, I kind of also, there's a recent artist called Brad Walker. It kind of seems has like a similar style to him. Who did that name uh,
2: rings bell, but I'm, I'm, I can't picture the art style off the top of my head. Uh, Brad Walker.
3: I Think he did what, um, what? Secret Six or one of those uh, Simone. Um, Books. Was okay. it was secret six or or was it uh, the other one uh, villains united no
1: villains united was daily Ego
3: uh cus when he did one of those maybe i'm thinking of the action comics uh i think he did with music
1: um, yeah that that sounds more yeah I, that that was brad walker
3: yeah hey,
2: you're right he did it did do the uh did the first yeah the first six issues of uh of secret well the two thousand six for is that the current series
3: yeah I The two thousand six okay I think that was like the second season type of thing like a okay yeah like a follow up to um villains united i think
2: villains united yeah cool well that's all I got
3: oh then it's me
2: back up to mike
1: number three here's a guy that i think uh some books that I just absolutely love. It's an artist named Tom Lyle.
4: Oh, yeah.
1: If you have ever read the 1988 Starman series uh, written by Roger Stern, he did the first 25 issues of that. Uh, He drew Spider-Man during the Clone Saga. Uh, Yes. Uh, In fact, he drew Amazing Spider-Man number 400. And he also did, and this is probably... This is one of those things that if, whenever I get some free time, you know, after I become independently wealthy, because uh, that's the only way I'm going to do more podcasts at this point, <laughs> is uh, back in 90, 91, DC licensed the Archie superheroes and put out Impact Comics, uh, which... Some of them weren't good, but some of them were absolutely awesome. Uh, And one of those was The Comet, written by Mark Wade with art by Tom Lyle. Yeah. He has a very, what I would call a skinny style. His characters are not beefy. But he puts a lot of attention into his backgrounds, and he puts a lot of character into his characters. I am... You know, I love the Jack Knight Starman as much as any other comic fan. I love Will Payton.
4: Oh, yes. Will Payton's
1: Starman series. Talk about an underappreciated, not talked about series uh, anymore. Just because Jack Knight overshadowed that. And I think James Robinson... He kind of brought him back, but it was in a really stupid way. It's like the one misstep of James Robinson's Starman run, in my opinion. Um, but I... But a lot of that had to do with Tom Lyle's artwork. And he he made Will Payton come to life. And you know what? The costume was originally yellow and purple, but it worked. And it was a really cool design for the late 80s, because... Roger Stern and Tom Lyle created a superhero who's doing it because it's the right thing to do at a time when Grim and Gritty was getting into its heyday. You know, here was a character that discovered he had superpowers, and the first thing he does is his sister makes him a costume, and he goes out and starts saving people. And it's just a really great ride. And he has such a cool way of drawing action too. I mean, it's he, it's kind of hard to describe why I like him so much. It's one of those things where you look at it, and you know you like it, and you know you love it, but you really can't put it into words fully about why. Mm-hmm. But The Comet was an awesome series too. And again, a lot of it had to do with Tom Lyle's artwork, and the and what he brought to the table, and how it complemented the writing. So, yeah, definitely, number three for me is Tom Lyle.
2: Excellent, yeah, excellent yeah. choice. Yeah, he's somebody I hadn't, uh, I haven't been, uh, wouldn't have thought of, but uh, yeah, he's somebody that should have really been on my list, because I've always liked this guy, and uh, I was absolutely thrilled a couple of months ago, I started buying the Dark Horse um, Star Wars Omnibuy, and I think think it's in the second one if I'm not mistaken it's either the first or the second one it's either Rise of the Sith or I think it's in the second one now that I think about it because I think yeah the name of the second one is Emissaries and Assassins there's a story reprinted in there it's uh, issues 13 through 16 of Marvel's Star Wars title it was a story called Emissaries to Malastare he was the artist on that and it's awesome I mean, really, really nice. I mean, if you're familiar with like, say his uh his work on um Spider-Man around the time of uh what was that, Maximum Clonage, I think?
3: The Carnage, yeah, that was that was <laughs>
2: Carnage, yeah, that was it. Yeah, Carnage. Yeah. Um yeah, that that type of art style applied to the, the prequel Star Wars universe. And this was a story I can't remember what show it was I talked about this, but this was a story where um something was up and mace windu basically puts together like the jedi knight version of the avengers it's like all your top tier council members of of the jedi order goes to Malastare just to kick ass and it's a great story with just phenomenal art by uh by lyle and uh just on an odd note he also drew the uh the marvel or excuse me the dc rather the rare dc movie adaptation this was in 90 he did total recall and <laughs> that is written by uh elliot s megan that's the only reason i remember that is i actually met megan one time and people kept bringing him copies of total recall to sign me. he was like don't you have one of my books that i can sign it was really
3: funny <laughs> that's funny That's interesting, uh, Lyle. I actually – I was just first exposed to his art in, uh, like you said, Scout and Maximum Carnage, uh, which is number uh, – Spider-Man 35, which has like a bunch of the Carnage uh, alliances surrounding uh, Spider-Man, like which has – what was this guy's name? Um, Demo Goblin and –
2: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. What was that spider guy? He's kind of like, he has four arms. He kind of, the mutated guy. What the hell is his oh,
2: name? Um, yeah, shit. Uh, what was his? Yeah, that was it. The, yeah, Doppelganger, Spider-Man, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, I really liked the art. It was really nice. I, 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 I see this guy's art a lot, and then I, I never really kind of seek him out, but that's pretty interesting. I, I like that. Uh, it's a good pick, guy. I'm definitely going to seek out more of his work. It's, it's, really oh, like uh,
1: Starman's all over the 50-cent bins. So, yeah. I, yeah, pick it up.
3: Check
2: out. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing these days because his his credits seem to trail off at about the like mid to late nineties. So I wonder what he's up to currently. Hmm, that's I a good do, question. I
1: know he's got a blog.
2: Yeah, he he might be somebody worth uh, trying to get in touch with just to to see what he's up to and kind of kind of catch up with him.
3: Apparently, he did a vigilante uh, of the recent Marv Wolfen book.
2: Yeah, I saw that. I I I I'd be kind of curious to check Well, he just did two issues, but still I'd be curious to check that out. It's a character, both a uh, you know, writer artist and character I'm interested in, so yeah, definitely. I think oh, I was did, uh... on as a poor man's
3: <laughs> I was <laughs> on as a poor man's punisher. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who's up next?
3: I guess it would be me. Uh, I'm going to pick a writer here uh, just to mix it up a little bit more. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, Archie Goodwin, He's an excellent uh, writer, uh, and uh, one of my favorite works of him was uh Manhunter, which we did with uh, yeah Walter Simonson, which is excellent. It was it was such an excellent set of uh, collected little uh, was it backups, and they just put it in one package, and it reads so well. Uh, it was just which is this was the Paul Kirk uh, Manhunter, which uh, what is the tagline? Um, He who... What is this? uh, Something game. (laughs) Uh,
2: Oh, he hunts the ultimate game or something like that?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I know what you're
2: talking about. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that that was an excellent miniseries. Not a miniseries, but they just collected it in uh, like a gold foil cover or something. That was a couple years back, actually. It was probably maybe the 90s or maybe the 80s, actually. But it was just a really nice... Collected edition. I hope DC brings it out again. But um, he also did a a run with John Byrne on Wolverine as well, which is really fun. Um, but those are the only two books that I read of him. But they're really excellent reads. And I would like to see got more of his work. But apparently, he's such a. He's, he got along really well with John Byrne. And he, he's such a well regarded um, editor in the industry, uh, what I hear. So he.
2: He's dead now, right? Didn't he? He died a few years ago, right? Yeah, day? he did.
1: He did die, but he was the one that was responsible for the bringing in the James Robinson Starman series. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there is an issue of the Batman Adventures comic that was based on the animated series, where you had these three m- criminals in jail, and it was Denny O'Neill, Mike Carlin, and Archie Goodwin. <laughs> um. But, yeah, he he was, like, responsible for Epic uh, Illustrated over at Marvel. I mean, he, he he's one of these people that artists and writers loved to work with and work... Mm-hmm. With I loved Epic.
0: Just... I thought it was yeah, better so, than heavy yeah. metal, you know? I, yeah. It was sort of represented as a ripoff of heavy metal, but I thought it was actually more interesting...
1: Well, Epic was interesting because it was the first Marvel title to uh, to give artists their
0: um, free reign, pretty much.
1: No, uh, creative like they they kept the creations.
0: Oh, it wasn't
1: right. work for hire. They were allowed to ke- uh, keep the copyright on their own work.
3: So that's cool. That's interesting. I, uh, it's so interesting also that he, he wrote uh, the first two issues of Blade Runner, which is the adaption of the movie. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Al that's right. interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful, ah. beautiful adaptation. And I mean, really, he's, respons- he's partly responsible. Well, Star Wars is responsible. But he was writing Star Wars when Scott and I – and that's the yeah. stuff that got Scott and I into comics.
2: Yeah, not oh, just wow. not yeah, not just the Marvel stuff either. But he wrote uh, the the vast majority of the newspaper right, strips. Right. Uh, yeah, so awesome stuff. Yeah, he was a very prolific and just great, you know, classic comic book writer. Really
3: liked his stuff. Did he also do the Teen Titans, uh, X Men one, or was that just all Walter Simpson? There's like a uh, crossover.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to remember that. Let me see if I can find a credit.
0: I'm trying to remember. I used to have the autograph, so I had everybody's autograph. It was Wolfman, Perez, Simonson.
3: Simonson. No, that was Chris Claremont. I'm sorry, that's was, Cl- that was Chris Claremont, Chris actually. Claremont. Wrote, yeah. wrote that's right.
2: right, that's right, yeah.
3: Yeah, so wrong, wrong credit. But it, it must have been editor or something on that, on that thing, maybe.
2: Could be. Could very well be. Yeah, he he did a lot of editing stuff too.
3: Yeah, he's he's a great talent. It's a sad thing that he passed away because he's such a un, I don't I don't know underrated. Maybe not I know in within the industry, but within like the fandom, he's kind of a uh, under the radar type of thing. And I would I would recommend everyone to check out the the Manhunter stuff, which is I hope DC reprints it again, but because that's that's top notch stuff, and you know, arguably, I think that's Simonson's best work.
0: See, I think I think he was viewed as not, he was not as flashy as, say, Chris Claremont as a writer, so he didn't get the you know, as far as comics go, the rock star writer treatment. He was more like a seemed like a workhorse writer, you know?
5: Right, but, right.
0: You know, I mean, but that usually means you get to have a lot more influence in the long run because you get to go all over the place. Yeah,
3: I think he was kind of the a similar vein to Bill Mattenlow kind of yeah, kind of thing. W- revered but not, not as well known by fandom. Yeah, so Ooh, I guess he was, a, oh, go ahead, Scott.
2: He was editor <laughs> on uh, issues two through seven of one of my favorite books, Logan's Run by Marvel back in the seventies. Love that book. Love
3: that book. I remember that. I have to Who, who drew that book, by the way? Uh,
2: Perez for the first six issues, I want to say, because I, I think it only survived one issue past the movie adaptation, and I'm pretty sure Perez did all of the issues of the of the adaptation. I'm fairly uh-huh. certain
0: Yep, I saw the ad- and then it
2: okay. was going to be you know much like Star Wars. Later on, it was going to go beyond the movie type of deal, and I think they only did one issue beyond the movie, and then it flopped. <laughs> That's oh, it. Yeah, you
0: had to watch T V to go beyond the movie at that point.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I I finally fulfilled a, a major lifelong geek dream there last uh last August when I got to meet Perez finally and I I took uh uh, Logan's Run number 2. And I didn't end up getting it signed, but we talked about it. He was he was just so tickled that somebody had brought him Logan's Run to talk about because he's like... He's
1: one of the nicest guys on the face of the planet. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. my, just giving really cool, willing to tell stories. I mean, it's just I've, I've been to a few panels he's been on and got to talk with him for about 5 or 10 minutes in the 2006 Dragon Con where he signed... Wolfman and, and, and Perez were both there, so my new Teen Titans number one and nice. my Crisis on Infinite Earths trade are signed by both of them, so I'll kill somebody if they try to take those, by the way.
2: <laughs> hey Mike, I'm looking at this picture that you put up of the the Superman or excuse me, the Batman and Robin one and it just reminded me. Did you mention that uh that Lyle was the artist on those Robin miniseries? No,
1: in fact uh, I, I, I feel like I really Uh, Skipped over something important because uh, I liked the first one and I liked the third one, but that second one with the Joker is awesome. Yeah. Just fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, he did Starman and then he did Robin and he did the Comet and uh, he did, um, I think he drew Batman or Detective for a little while too, with Dixon writing it. He
2: also drew – you could probably find this one in 50-cent bins, I'm sure, but he drew – remember when there was a glut of all those Venom uh, minis that most Ah. of them sucked ass, but there was (laughs) one – Um, where it was, basically, it was the Punisher versus Venom. I don't know what the hell the name of it is. Funeral Pyre, I think, maybe? I think so. But that actually wasn't bad. And, I mean, the art was fantastic because it was, you know, like I say, it was the Punisher versus Venom, and it actually was pretty cool.
1: I have the issues. I haven't read them yet, but he did the Ostrander written Punisher series.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, wasn't he working for Shield or something during that time?
1: There was something weird going on like that, but uh, I I really need to dig those issues out because I'm also a big fan of Ostrander. Yeah, so, but but when you guys were talking and and, and, I, and I was listening, but I, I discovered and, and and Scott was seemed to be kind of tickled about this as well. But apparently, Tom Lyle lives in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, and is a professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design. So he's he's half assed local. Wow, to Scott and I.
2: We're going to have to drive down and stalk him now. Go take <laughs> his class.
1: I just friended him on Facebook, so we'll see how that goes.
2: Oh, awesome. Who uh, Who's up?
0: I think Honeywell's up, right? Yeah, Chris is next. I'm up again? Wow, that was fast. Okay, I'm going to go with one of my all-time favorites from when I was a little, little kid. And I believe he's still alive. It's uh, Dan O'Neill. And uh, most... Famous for most famous for getting in trouble with Disney with Air Pirates funnies.
1: <clears throat> when you're done, I've got to tell you something. Oh yeah? <laughs> I, yeah,
0: I I was introduced. Go on with your thing. I was introduced to him actually by there was a magazine called Coevolution Quarterly that was uh, an, a sort of outcropping of the Whole Earth Catalog, and he would every issue of that he would have. You know, probably about a ten-page spread, and he would do a comic about something. And the first one he did was about his legal wrangles with Disney. And I remember reading it, you know, as a little kid. And you know, Disney when you're a little kid is Disney. It's it's you know the most wonderful thing in the world. But at the same time, I like this guy's comics too, and I'm like, why are Disney picking on this guy? You know, it was. Very interesting. And his comics, were they always had R. crumb and him. And I always could grasp the Dan O'Neill comics more than I could grasp R. crumb comics as a little kid. And uh, then I remember being at something with my father and they had a pile of underground comics. And I got a couple of um, Dan O'Neill comics and stories which were laid out very much like the Dell um, Walt Disney comics and stories. But, without the any copyrighted characters in him, but he was definitely getting his digs in and I remember loving those comics. I've been slowly picking up stuff off eBay. He's another one, especially those air the air pirates ones he got in trouble for are very pricey, you know I, I think sometimes they go for a couple hundred bucks, so I won't be picking up those and <laughs> anytime soon but you know um man he's a great artist he's one mm-hmm. of those great minimalist almost sketchy and oh you know how could i not mention this oh my god um well scott knows is, is um uh, from like elementary school and middle school and in high school i used to love to draw and i basically i learned to draw Because Dan O'Neill made a book called The Big Yellow Drawing Book. And that can be found on eBay for not very much money. I think that's been printed a few times. And maybe the most popular thing he ever has done. And it's the greatest drawing book for kids or for adults for anybody ever. Because it basically just explains... All the b- principles of perspective and mass and overlapping things and how to r- draw a face and a body and stuff, but he does it in a very fun manner and it works you through it. St- and I learned so much from that. Basically, my entire you know when when I was a kid, he was res- he and Richard Scary were responsible for me drawing. So. <laughs> And Richard Scarry was another one. He, you know, he'd show you simple shapes and show you how to combine them into a, into a, you know, a, an animal or an object, a more complex object. Great stuff. So I highly, high, you know, I highly recommend his cartoons. But I highly, highly, highly recommend the Big Yellow Drawing Book if you can find it.
1: Chris, you need to track down Comic Book Confidential, the documentary. Oh, from I've heard.
0: I should see that. Is he in that? Because he,
1: he is in that, and it's it's awesome because he's like this old looking hippie guy, yeah. and he's surrounded by all of these gorgeous women shooting pool. I guess in his house,
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and he's talking about air pirates and the lawsuit and all that. And you can kind of tell he's half in the bag. Uh huh. It's a great interview. I think you'd like it. He's. He, I think you'd love it.
0: He's just got a. He's got a great voice. He did a great series of of uh in the coevolution where he went to uh Ireland, you know, and he was, you know, of Irish ancestry and he went back to his, you know, the village that his ancestors were from and it was in the middle of, you know, their their religious partisan battles and stuff and it was just great to see his point of view, you know, how it sort of tore him apart to be there and be an outsider seeing seeing this stuff and of course he was there for a month so of course he saw a couple you know incidents of violence and stuff it was very it was fascinating and it was one of my first experiences of seeing something that was really intense that you only sort of saw covered a little bit on the news you know and I was like wow this is something really insane going on there but you don't really hear about it too much you know because it's in another country and we're not interested (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a cool it's a cool art i really like the uh like you said it's very
3: minimalist uh very sketchy looking that's pretty cool yeah
0: but it it always has a very strong sense of dimension and uh he did this continuing i'm trying to remember the name of the the main character, he was an oh, Cub Calloway, ace reporter, and it was called South of the Slot. And it was all in, you know, the gritty, hard-boiled detective language, and dealt with this old, hard-boiled detective that was a real, actual kind of asshole. You know, grumpy Archie Bunker sort of asshole. There was one where he went to the future where there was cannibalism. It was great. And he gets in a fight with a biker in a restaurant and shoots him in the head. And the waitress is like, wait, you got to call the FDA before we carve him up. (laughs) uh, That's pretty cool. Awesome.
5: (laughs) So Scott is next.
2: Yes, you are, sir. All right. It's history time for just a moment here now. uh Uh-oh. <clears throat> back, uh, <laughs> back a while, um, you know. I, I really loved Burns' Fantastic Four, but after he left the Fantastic Four, I, I left the Fantastic Four because I like the Fantastic Four, but I'm not like a huge fan of them. You know, it really takes certain talents or certain storylines or whatever to, to happen in that book for me to give a crap at all about anything that happens. And back in the 90s, I forget exactly what year this book came out, but for about five minutes, Fantastic Four 371 was huge, at least where I was in the area I was living at the time. That's what everybody was talking about. That's what everybody was trying to own was an original first copy, you know, first print copy of FF 371. Now, this was the one. Where it was one of those, what do they call it, like embossed covers or whatever, where it was raised up. Yep. It was like a, a almost like a cardboard stock and it was it was raised up and it was all one color. I want to say it was white. I think it was I think the white one was the first copy, and then the I know that the reprint was red, but it was the fan it was the Johnny Storm story where he went Nova And he set fire to the ESU campus. And it kicked off this whole new storyline where he was on the run from the law and all that sort of thing. And this is, to my recollection, this was where I really took note of Paul Ryan as an artist for the first time. And again, one of those guys I just never hear anybody say anything about. And I really like this guy's art. And one of the things I like about him is that I think on a a quick glance and and when you first see his stuff, he's one of these guys that's easy to look at, sort of like Cary Gamble, and go, oh, okay, he's drawing John Byrne. You know, he's from the John Byrne school, and he's just, you know, kind of aping and building his reputation off of Byrne. But over time, I think he moved away from that, and he developed his own style that spun out of Byrne, you know, much like Byrne sort of, you know, in the beginning was very much aping, like, uh, say, like Neil Adams, but eventually developed his own very unique and and really dynamic style. I see Paul Ryan kind of being, like, the next generation of that. And just through his art, I stuck with FF all through the, uh, they had that, Uh, nobody gets out alive storyline and all that and I was really digging that and really enjoying that and uh, I think I've got a complete run of FF from that point right on through the end of the series that one of these days I have to go back and and finish out the last few issues to see how that ends because I think this was right at a time when I was moving around a lot and things and I, I ended up Somehow or other, I ended up not being able to to finish whatever was going on. plus, they had this one storyline where they were time traveling and they were looking for Reed Richards, and they kept going back into Marvel history and I thought it was a really cool idea that they were meeting like the Avengers when the Avengers were like first formed and stuff like that, and the stories were really cool, but then they completely copped out in one of the stories where it turned out that somebody made a comment about. Oh well, these you know this history we're traveling into these are all like alternate timelines or some bullshit. It wasn't even really Marvel history, and I thought that was such a cop out. It kind of pissed me off, and I stopped reading it. But then I ended up regretting that I didn't follow through just to see how the story resolves. One of these days, I got to dig that stuff out and go through the end of it. But uh, Paul Ryan's art on that was really solid, and he actually picked up. From where Burn when when Burn suddenly up and quit, In Avengers um, right? Avengers West Coast. Yeah, Paul Ryan mm-hmm. was the one that picked up and uh, and followed that for uh, for about the next year, I think. And that was where the thing where um was it Kang or Immortus? I forget. I think it was Immortus. Was yeah, was, it was Immortus, killing so. off. Alternate timeline, you know, like alternate futures and trying to streamline the the time stream. Mm-hmm. And Ryan stepped in, at least as artist. I'm not sure who who the uh, writer was that followed up. Mm-hmm. May have been uh, Roy Thomas, I think. But Ryan stepped in as the artist after Byrne left. And it was great because it wasn't a jarring transition. You had an artist that looked very much like Byrne. It's easy to even look at some of those covers Right after Byrne left, and not even realize that it's not still Byrne drawing it because he really did a great job of of a nice art transition, and uh, and I really like that stuff. And he did, you know, he did some other uh, one off things. Probably the wackiest thing I see in his uh, you know his list of credits here, a book that I actually own is Superman meets the Motorsports Champions, <laughs> and this was a uh, oh dear. I want to say this, this was a giveaway, if I remember right, that had yeah, uh, no one's going to
1: buy that, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: remember it was uh, there was like uh, Kmart or somewhere was selling Superman T-shirts, and you'd get this this comic free with it if you bought the T-shirt or something like that. And I think that's how I got one, but it was like Superman teams up with like dale earnhardt and all these other guys it was actually it was wacky but the art in it was actually pretty good for a giveaway book but uh but i really like that you know i really like his art and uh i really liked his fantastic four stuff because during that time he was uh teamed up with somebody else that uh that should probably make my list which was tom defalco he's he's another uh Talent in comics, I think, is really underappreciated. Um, you know oh, his yeah. writing, and I, I loved his writing on FF, and I loved his stuff on uh, on Thor, and also Thunderstrike. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I'm you know I'm probably the one guy that loved Thunderstrike, but I thought that was uh, some really good stuff by by Defalco. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's my number. What the hell, a number are we at now? Three?
3: Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not counting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh yeah, Paul Ryan.
3: That's a good pick. I actually had him on my list too. He was a uh, very much a product of the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, he's de- definitely did a lot of Avengers work. He, he, he think, I think, he did uh, an arc with Burn, which had the Avengers in space with Spider-Man in it and Nebula.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, toward the end of, uh, it was toward the end of the Stern stuff, wasn't it?
5: No,
3: that was <sighs> the three hundreds. Yeah. Okay. I think, a little a
2: little yeah. oh, okay. I, think I know what, did, what you're talking about, though.
3: Yeah, that was, it was a solid story. I really liked it. It was pretty fun. And he also did a, a, a book of um, – he did, he did the, some Iron Man work too, uh, which they just released the trade called the Iron Man Dragon Seed Saga, which has uh, fing, fang, foom, and uh, mandarin. Kind of oh, that's
2: thing. right. I love that story. How did I forget about that? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. He also, yeah, he did that one.
1: He also did some Superman work in ninety six, ninety seven. Around that time, he was drawing. He took over for Tom Grummett on Superman: The Man of Tomorrow, and then drew some odd issues of like Superman: The Man of Steel and stuff like that.
2: He did a little bit of work on Superman right around the time of uh, the Dominus storyline, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite Superman storylines of of that era. Yeah. yeah,
3: he's a solid, solid artist, and it's interesting when you see his work on, inked by Tom Palmer. It, it, it takes on a very uh, John Buscema look. Then after that, yeah. John John did the the Avengers book, so it, it kind of all blends in in a weird way. You know, it's kind of it's not such a jarring transition because Tom's still on there, so it just kind of turns a little homogenous after a while, but not in a bad way. Though, it still looks really good.
2: Do you like this guy, Mike? I haven't heard you say much about him.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, I like him. I I, I didn't really care for his Superman work all that much, but I've seen his FF work and stuff like that, and I, and I much prefer that. I don't know what it is about his Superman work I don't like. It's one of those weird things where it's just there is something off about it. Like it's a little stiff, but it's not bad. Uh, mm-hmm. But I much prefer his, his FF work that I've seen. I think he did a really good job with that team.
2: I've been uh, looking at the credits of the different people that we've mentioned tonight just to see if there's any common threads or common themes. And uh, it seems like the, the biggest thing I'm seeing coming up for so many of these is some, they've had some hand in 2099 in one way or another. Just about <laughs> everybody we've talked to <laughs> Hey, Spider-Man
1: 2099 was the best 2099 book ever.
2: Agreed. I I will argue, I love 2099. I would argue that uh, up until Pat Broderick left, that Doom 2099 was the best one, though. I loved that title. But I, I agree with you that Spider-Man 2099 was an awesome book, though.
3: One of the best costumes, though, also. That he's had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Alrighty, we're up
1: to my number two, which is uh, kind of goes along with the Bill Mantlo one. Uh, yes. I love this man's <laughs> artwork. I think I actually prefer his work uh, to his brothers, and he is always uh, considered to be the lesser of the two. But Sal Busema. Yes. Is, uh a just a fantastic artist. He did ROM. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite work of his is his uh, run with Bill Mantlow and in Incredible Hulk, which is just epic. Oh yeah, uh, he really brought a savagery to the, the to the character, but then had to draw like an intelligent Hulk as well, and did just as good with that. Uh, I think I, I think he is underappreciated. I think that he is underestimated. He has done, from what I understand, if I'm correct, he did the longest run on Spider-Man of any artist uh, on Spectacular Spider-Man.
4: Yeah, he oh, was
1: on yeah. there for a long time. Yeah, yeah, he was on there for like over a hundred issues. So. Wow! And I like his action. I like his characters. No one can draw an angry face like
5: South. <laughs>
2: Semi. Is no, he the one true. that did that painted poster? That's an extreme close up of Hulk's face and he's got his fist up and it's a total like I'm about to kick your ass poster. You know I the one love I'm talking about? That about? poster. Oh. Is, is that oh, him?
1: Uh, I don't know. You know Cuz it's gorgeous. Shit, oh god, yes. That that is a uh, just a fantastic piece of art. Yeah, that's the Bitch, come get some poster I like.
2: <laughs> well, it's funny that we each have our own names for it because I had that poster on my door in to my dorm room when I was in the service and used to actually encourage people to come by and we would put blank word bubbles up and let people write in different captions just to see who could come up with the funniest shit. And it got really
0: wacky after was a while. It, it probably went downhill fast.
2: <laughs> it got raw, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't I don't think he did that one Scott but uh but he's oh, okay. definitely one of my one of w- probably my top favorite Hulk artist of all time. I would say yeah. flat out uh just because he he brought so much to the character artistically. You know, the Hulk unfortunately suffered from not having a consistent artist on the book outside of Herb Trimpe. And I'm gonna get like letters for this. I don't like Herb Trimpey.
0: I don't like him either. I'm not a big fan I, myself.
1: Yeah, I understand why people like him, but at the same time, I'm like, God, just get this away from me. I, I you know, bring on some Sal Buscema, and and I'll be a, and I'll be a happy, happy man. Uh, you know, he is also probably, and uh, listening to interviews with him, one of the nicest guys. Oh, yeah. uh, I've ever heard. He was interviewed on the Spider-Man Crawl Space. He actually answered my question uh, about the Hulk and apparently that was his favorite book to draw of his awesome. career. He loved drawing the Hulk and you can tell just by looking at it. I mean Hulk 300 probably one of the single best issues of the Hulk ever. Ever. And I'm And I'm putting it over the last issue of Peter David's run. Which is wow. an epic, epic issue. But Hulk three hundred, where the entire freaking Marvel universe comes after him. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh
4: man. yeah, yeah.
1: Ja, and he is just savage. He is mindless. Bruce Banner is gone, and it's just him tearing shit up. And oh wow, God, I just, I just love this man's work. He he has a he has great storytelling skills. He can do power. He can do simple things. I mean, I was looking through some of his ROM pages; they're fantastic.
2: Oh, his yeah. Thor kicked ass too. I really, uh uh-huh.
3: With oh, Simonson, right? Yeah. Uh...
1: And, and it just pisses me off because I like John Busema as much as the next guy. I really do, but everyone like
3: thinks of him as the as Sal, as the lesser Busema and I'm like, you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. It's, it's. Uh, I think the same thing, and it's. It's very prolific. He's, he's done. A whole smattering of Marvel work. It's it's kind of a shame that he doesn't do a whole lot of DC stuff. Maybe not not at all, right? Not, he I don't do think
1: stuff. he's really done any. He might have done like one like little things here and there. But yeah, he, he you know he made his bones at Marvel. So
2: isn't he the one that did? See, I I have trouble sometimes remembering which Bruce Emma did what. But isn't he the one that did? Stan Lee imagines, uh, or what the hell is the name of those Superman? Books? No, yeah, the John. Superman one. Yeah. yeah, imagine that was John. Was Stan yeah, that was John. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I would
1: have preferred Sal to do it personally. I would have liked to have seen it because I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I really didn't like any of those. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I never read any. I just remember the the art and and looking at it, going, ah, this, this, Superman I like one this.
1: Wasn't all that good. The Batman one was interesting, but the Superman one, I was just like, God, Stan, why, why God, why? <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, I thought yeah. they were just good art showcases, basically. That's all they were.
1: But Sal Buscema is yeah, that's my number two.
3: Yeah, I love to talk stuff, too. Although I'm not sure if I like the inking of, of Toads to 300. It was kind of a little weird, a little loose. But uh, I loved his take on a UFOs. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. There's a, there's a group of villains that...
1: I I think need to be around more. I like the UFOs. I think they're a great villain team. Yeah, I like the UFOs. To- <laughs> <laughs> you just like Moe's. <laughs> Southwest Grill.
2: <laughs>
1: Burritos the size oh, of Oh,
2: stop fucking- it. No, no, no. no. I'm hungry already. I'm starving <laughs> to death. Don't
1: start. Well, where's your garlic crusted oily triskets that you usually eat in Tuscan America?
5: herb <laughs> Tuscan breaders?
1: <laughs> well, that's it for me on that one.
3: Right, I got to get it to Sally. He's one of the most consistent uh, pencilers up, up until his retirement. I mean, he's I mean, even his like late nineties work. It's not as good as his eighties or early nineties, but it's it's just really great all the way through. I'm a huge fan of Sal as well. His Hulk definitely had a like definitive like face on him, like kind of a, an iconic look to him. Before mm-hmm. you know, uh, what's uh, what's his name? Dale Kion was it? Came in.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I I, I wasn't. Uh, I know Scott's gonna call heresy on this. I wasn't a big fan of the Todd McFarlane Hulk, but I really liked when uh, when Dale Keown came onto the book. And I, you know, it's like Hulk artists. There have been good ones. There was Dale Keown. I liked Gary Frank uh, before he drew everyone looking like they were addicted to heroin. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I I liked uh, I liked Mike Diodato Jr. I liked Adam Kubert. Yeah. You know, I, you know, was great. And, you know, that
2: guy just post McFarlane that was doing the Joe Fix It stuff was that Purvis?
1: Yeah. Oh, Jeff Purvis. Oh,
2: I actually liked his stuff. It took me a while to get used to it, but looking back on it now, I think some of that stuff has held up better than the uh, McFarlane stuff is held up. You
1: see, the problem with McFarlane is he made the Hulk too large.
2: No, I like that. I think, honestly. And I'm not trying to argue with you, but I think honestly, your, I think the problem okay. with the the McFarland stuff is that it's so over-imitated by shit artists that weren't a tenth as talented <laughs> as he was. That it's now you look at it and you go, "Oh, more of this fucking shit," you know. And that really is sad because that it, it's not McFarland's fault. It's it's the fault of all the shitty imitators that you know just the image taters. You would yeah, say. exactly, and. <laughs> It, but it makes him look bad um, by comparison. You know what I mean? So I, I think- See,
1: you know, in certain respects, I'll agree with that. But just with his Hulk, it's just I don't like the Hulk so monstrously larger than every other character. It kind of takes me out of the story. It hmm. really does. And that's kind of why I like Sal's. And, you know, Dale Keown drew a big Hulk, but it was he was just tall and muscular. He wasn't, like, inhuman. You know, and I think that was my problem with Herb Trimpey's is that he was just all disproportionate most of the time. And boy, am I going to get letters bitching me out about
2: uh, I got your back, just like you were saying the other day about whatever the hell we were talking about. And you said you had my back on it. I got your back with the uh, Herb Trimpey thing. Never liked Herb Trimpy, I'm sorry i just i don't see the appeal i really don't i never never understood it you know this guy i'm looking at the the credits for uh salby sima jesus christ yes yeah, no. like a million books <laughs> this guy must <laughs> not have ever gone to the fucking bathroom or something I mean, he's got <laughs> a million books here well what did he do for star wars Oh, wow. Way down the line, he uh, number 93 and number 102, he did some work on. But the thing that jumped out to me here was that he did a lot of the pre-Carmine um, Infantino issues of Nova. Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, Nova against them. Thor. That's a great issue. Yeah. Oh, man, now I want to dig these back out and look at them again. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good oh. stuff.
3: Mike, I'm gonna back you up to about Herb Jimpy. Herb- 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 Gerb- uh I think he's a I think he's a poor man's Jack Kirby, but that's just me.
1: Yeah.
5: And
3: I
1: love me some Jack Kirby Hulk. That first issue is fucking amazing.
3: Very uh un Kirby like. It's kinda like I don't know, it's weird. It's Kirby just, but not he, Kirby. It's <laughs> like
1: it's like he never finished a page.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's similar to the Avengers uh type of thing.
2: Is Sal still alive? Yes, he's yeah. still alive.
3: Thankfully, I want to meet him someday. Cool. Who's next? All right, so uh, I guess I'll, uh, you are, Will. All right, I guess I'll whip out the uh, the <laughs> one that I was waiting to. <laughs> Excuse me while I, uh, <laughs> while I whip this out. while I whip this up Well, this one was one that came up when. Uh, I talked to Scott initially about the underrated artist thing. Um, I'm going to pick Greg LaRoque. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, Um, he was uh, uh, a, I would say good artist. Uh, Even above solid, just very good artist. Um, I was most memorable for his uh, Flash one with uh, William Messner-Lobes, which was after the Mike Barron stuff.
1: And Uh, a little bit into the Mark Wade too.
3: Yes, he did the Mark Wade stuff, too. I like
0: Messner-Lobes, too, a lot.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, he's a good, uh, he's another underrated writer. I think, I don't really read a whole lot of stuff from Messing the Lopes, but mm-hmm. his Flash one is really, like, one the stuff that I grew up reading. Amen, Will. Thank you, sir. <laughs> but his Flash is definitely one of the most definitive Flashes alongside, uh, I don't know, I guess, the Infantino, I guess. This is Wally West's Flash. I think it's, um, I think Ethan Van Skyver's Flash takes a lot of cues from that Version of, of uh, yeah, but Flash. he isn't a
1: tenth of the artist Greg L- Larock is. I mean, I I, I like that fantastic. was Larock
2: doing the Wally West Flash right out of the gate from issue one of the post crisis stuff.
1: No, that was Butch Geis.
2: Butch Geis, yes, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's who I was thinking. Yeah, I like him, but yeah, I like the Larock stuff as well.
3: Yeah, and it's interestingly enough, um, he, Greg also did the issue of Avengers, which has uh, Hawkeye with uh, Ant Man on the arrow. On the cover. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, he did Great that issue. Cover. Mm-hmm. I love and, that. And he did a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but he did like, a, a string of uh, Marvel team-up issues, which were real rock solid. Uh, I'm going uh, to no. tell you,
1: LaRock on that Return of Barry Allen arc, It's it was his last arc on the uh, on the Wally West Flash. Some of my favorite Flash art is all throughout that arc. And he managed to draw Barry and Wally completely different. Like they were both on the same page, but you knew who was who. And it was just, oh, what an amazing, God, I love, I just love every bit of his work on that title.
3: Yeah, not a whole lot of artists can pull that off. Just having Wally and Barry together and make them look so different. It's, it's, it's quite a feat. I think he's, he's quite a good underrated artist. I met him also at, at New York Comic Con. He's, he's a nice guy. I bought his uh, he has like a little sketchbook that he, that he brings out every once in a while. It's kind of a bunch of different things he did over the years. Uh he's still good. I, I don't know what's kind of disheartening is that Marvel doesn't like to hire these um legendary artists too much. They they kind of just throw in a lot of the new talent, which under you know, it's understood. But I would love to see uh guys like Greg Loak and Paul Ryan do stuff like in the recent um era.
2: Yeah, I, I don't like that either. When they, when they, you know, they throw away these older guys, or they, or they just won't use them. Yeah. You know, they're still around. They're, they're they're still out there. They're still. You know why? You know, because a lot they've
0: of, learned their lessons and they need to get paid for real. And like the young guys are hungry and can
1: do more than three goddamn panels on a page, right? and you
0: can pay them a lot less. <laughs> and you know, it's the the old guys have learn their way around and are more expensive and time-consuming. Well, yeah. Wait a minute.
2: DC got the rights to Fighting American at some point? I'm looking here. Yeah. He did. Yeah, he did the artwork on uh, several issues of that for yeah, DC. Yeah, it was a
1: six-issue did... miniseries. I, I have it. I've never read it.
2: Huh. I had no idea. I bet you that's some nice-looking stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good artist. I, I was very... Glad to have him on The Flash, and that was, you know, really fun to read his stuff.
1: Oh, yes, definitely. Love his work on The Flash. I think he did some, uh, didn't he do some Legion work as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was looking here, Tales of the Legion, well, at least one issue anyway. What is, doesn't say, I guess just this one issue? Tales of the Yeah, I think he did work on the regular... What was it? The Baxter title for a while, I thought. Right?
1: Yeah. So did I. And, or are we thinking of Steve Lytle?
2: Yes, he's, yeah. See. Yeah. Well, no. I, I am seeing him listed here. No, he did. He did quite a long, a long run on. Uh, I think this is the Baxter. Yeah, yeah. This must be the Baxter one. Yeah. From issue fifteen to forty-eight, it looks like he did most of the issues. Nice. But yeah, Steve Lytle is uh, was was. Associated with the Legion during this time, he, I think he was doing a lot of covers and such. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a guy I gotta—I gotta, I gotta admit—I never much cared for Steve Lytle. He
3: did Quasar too, right? Uh I'm not
2: sure to be honest. with you. he might—he might have. But yeah, uh, yeah. LaRoque he's—he's he's got a lot of—he's uh, got a lot of credits. Ooh, he worked on a book I'm going to be talking about here in a minute.
3: Cool. Uh, cool. So I, I pass the baton to uh, Chris.
0: It's back to me? Well, I'm, yes. I'm going to... It's back to you. Wake up. I'm going to go to... A, <laughs> oh, please. In this crowd, we know who's asleep. <laughs> I'm going to just go to one who's just a riot. It's uh, J.R. Williams. If... Uh, um. He often, he more shows up in compilation books and drawing for somebody. Um, There was a guy who did a series called Real Stuff that were, it was very similar to American Splendor. It was just war tales from this guy's crazy life. And he would draw a lot of uh, those, most notably one where this guy, um, oh, what the hell is the name of that quote unquote musician? Anyway, just funny stuff. He has a very cartoony style, a very flat 2D, you know, goofy, wild cartoon style. Um, He did a great series of comics called The Bad Boys. And I think um, a series just called Bad, J.R. Williams Bad. And um, he will forever be one of my favorite artists slash writers for a story he did. And I don't know if it was in bad or it was in, or he had another comic called crap too. It could have been in crap. And, uh, it was called Mr. Dead. And it was, it was basically, he, he had the whole feel of the writing of, uh, the Mr. Ed TV show. And it was a story of, you know, um, there, the, persnickety neighbors telling Wilbur over the fence, you know, I noticed that your horse has been eating my apples off my tree and I'm going to have to take steps to, you know, remedy this. And Wilbur sort of blows him off. And so uh, the next scene, you know, he's talking to Wilbur again. And he goes, I noticed your horse was eating my uh, my apples again and I've treated them carefully treated them with a deadly poison and, you know, he goes over and Mr. Ed's (laughs) laying there with all four feet up in the air he's like, oh no, Mr. Ed! (laughs) Oh my god, you're you're gone and, like, and, you know, he feels responsible and he's just tortured and, like, you know, he's laying in bed at night hearing Mr. Ed's voice just like, Wilbur, why did you let them kill me, Wilbur? And he's slowly going insane, you know, and and there's, you know, finding stuff on his, uh, doorstep and, uh, and, uh, by the end of it, he, he ends up like, I think he ends up either killing himself or getting, you know, dragged off to the asylum. And then you find out that Mr. Ed was alive the whole time and plotting with Wilbur, Wilbur's wife to get rid of Wilbur so he could, uh, take his wife. It's awesome. <laughs> It's all in cartoon style. Yes, it's hilarious. It, I mean, he just he just does it right in the voice <laughs> of like you could hear the music in the background, you know, and everything. He just really has a feel for. And he also has a a comic comic running comic sort of thing called the Bad Boys and they're sort of like the Cats and Jammer kids, but they're more they're actually like real bad little boys are evil and they do horrible things and they have and they have you know their friend that they pick on and oh it's just his his stuff is just it's really no social redeeming value it's just pure fun <laughs> hilarity you know he's just it's you know that the the crude humor that's just made to just flat out crack you up even when it's not crude, sometimes he just does regular. It's almost kind of corny, you know. It's it's this mixture of crude and corny, and you can tell like yes. he purposely will draw like a twelve year old a little more than. <laughs>
3: <just> <laughs> to, this guy's a chameleon. You can write, You can draw different styles yeah, all over.
0: He's, I I highly recommend any anything anything he does. It's it's always entertaining.
3: Wow. This is pretty cool. <laughs>
2: That's some wacky shit, man.
3: Yeah, man. Got the Doctor Strange
2: here. I love the picture of Batman <laughs> beating the girl's ass. Is that supposed to be Barbara Gordon?
3: That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> that <is> hot. <laughs> I'm not sure it's, it's interesting.
0: That's, that's good cool, yeah yeah cool. that, that, that's the sad thing about that I mean this is great you know talking on the internet but wouldn't it be great to be able to like beam into you know I would love to like just beam one like a long box off to you guys and go here you can just go through here you know <laughs> it's coming
2: it's coming if we live long <laughs> enough it's coming
0: well, yeah,
2: this is... I'm gonna go ahead and run with are you are you are Scott Gardner right now to? at
0: this point predicting beaming technology?
2: Something like that. We'll we'll figure out something like that. It'll come along. Some sort of digitizing would, something. Yeah, I or would other. love to
0: like put the box next to my comic box and like see your arm reach out and like start flipping through the comics and <laughs> pull them back. Yeah, to but the then Georgia. You cut my arm off and eat it. <laughs> <so>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I would I be more like I would be more like you know I'd be have a paintbrush with like cat food on it or something and like pull it in and be like whoa what the uh. <laughs> yeah, the way would the take internet the box from, and, I would, cuts and I would back it up to a cow's ass and like be like, oh yeah, here, growl <laughs>
5: ah. Oh, it's so
1: soft and warm <laughs> This is like high school all over again This
0: ain't Action Comics number one <laughs>
1: Ah, this is more like Action Comics when Chuck Austin was writing it.
2: <laughs> this must be a defiant issue. <laughs> 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 all right, what number are we up to now? Anyway, you're, you're on th-
1: your number two. Chuck, number
2: two. Uh, oh, all right. Well, that uh, that's very appropriate. This guy Ooh, is is the shit. I think he's excellent. I don't. Yeah, he's the shit. He's the shit. The number two. Um. Now, uh, I also have a Sal. You had Sal Busema earlier. I've got Sal Valuto. Oh. Wow. I going. like this guy a lot. And uh, probably I'm looking over the list of the different things he's done here. And he's done a lot of really awesome stuff. But probably the biggest thing I think or at least the biggest thing I know him from is uh his work on uh justice league task force which was a great and very underrated Oh success.
1: man the
3: back half of that book was
1: great
2: yeah, yeah. he oh, did see, I know uh
3: him. what's that I know him from black panther with uh chris priest He's yeah a, a huge bulk of that
1: yeah he worked with christopher priest on uh justice league task
4: force
2: yeah nice that's right yeah really good stuff though and uh he came back to my mind not long ago i don't I could not tell you what the hell is, uh episode it was, but an episode of uh back to the bins quite a while ago i my pick for that uh episode was a random issue of uh bloodshot by is that valiant i think
1: uh, uh yes.
2: And it was actually, yeah, it was a really good issue. I really enjoyed it. But most of what I enjoyed so much about it was the art was just freaking phenomenal. And I was like, who the hell is it? And then I got to realizing it was Sal Voluto, And I was like, oh, yeah. So I, it, it kind of just put that guy back in my mind again that, you know, he's got a pretty good body of work. And I've only ever really checked out just a, a small portion of it. But any time this guy comes up and I, I read something that, that he's uh, worked on, I always end up really liking the art a lot. And it really, he's one of those guys that the story can be eh, but because his art's so nice, it kind of puts it up to a whole nother level. And uh, probably the best example of that was he did, uh, he did the art on a series called Firebrand from DC, which honestly wasn't all that hot. But his art was beautiful throughout. So, I mean, he brought his A-game to a book that was kind of bleh at best.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a mix of, like, Neil Adams and Claudio Castellini. I don't know if you guys know those Oh, yeah,
1: those I, 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 I know Claudio. I'm familiar. I don't know him personally, but I'm familiar with him.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, recognize very... that name. What, is, what has he done?
1: He did a lot of stuff with, like, Bo Smith for, like, you know, uh, Batman, you know, Catwoman and Wildcat or whatever that was called.
3: Yeah, he also did the Marvel versus, uh DC uh, stuff back in the early 90s. Not like middle to late 90s, I think.
1: 1996.
3: Yeah. Was so he that was...
2: the guy that, that was doing the other half of the book that Juergens wasn't doing? That... Yep. Oh, okay. Alright. I was thinking that that was that Pacheco guy.
3: No. No. <laughs> Yeah, it has a very sculpted kind of uh, statuesque style. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much. So. If
2: if he's the artist I'm thinking of that did like the uh, the Thor Captain Marvel fight, then yeah, yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about.
3: Huh? Yeah, it's, it's a real nice mix of those two. Uh, I I also see uh, some Neil Adams there, and Yeah, very very That's nice. It.
2: But yeah, I like this guy a lot. I'd like to. Uh I'd like to see more of his work I was just noticing he did an issue of uh of megalith. I'd really like to see his take on megalith. I bet you have awesome. Oh god
3: yeah. that crappy comic <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey hey hey, but I like that character's the thing you know the the itself yeah. themselves may not be all that awesome, but that uh I still maintain that that origin issue of megalith is is really cool you know really the art's beautiful, and I think the story's uh story's pretty good. But that's all I got for uh, for the number twos.
1: All righty, my number one. This guy doesn't get near enough credit. He is he is my favorite comic book artist of all time.
2: Rob Liefeld.
1: <laughs> I actually don't hate Liefeld. That's the thing. But that will get me off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> this guy has drawn the entire DC universe at different points. He did a definitive version of Superman. He did a definitive version of Captain Marvel. Uh, Scott and I are going to be talking the crap out of his artwork on upcoming issues of Tales of the JSA. I am talking about Jerry Ordway.
5: <laughs>
1: I love Jerry Ordway's artwork. Just absolutely Oh man, Golden Age characters, no one can touch him In my opinion. Uh, I, I, I don't usually make such definitive statements. But yeah, nobody can touch this guy when it comes to the Golden Age. His his inking over Rich Buckler was great, but when he took over the pencils of All-Star Squadron, that's when that book really came alive to me. See, even my dog agrees with me. <laughs> uh the funny thing about Jerry Ordway is when I was a kid, I didn't like his artwork at all. <laughs> I thought he was the the guy that drew Superman's chin too big. But uh, over the years, I, I really came to like him as a, as a Superman artist, and I contend with every fiber of my being that if he, you know, nothing against Pete Krause, but if he had drawn that power of Shazam book, in addition to writing it, I think it would have lasted longer.
4: Oh yeah. No, I'm I totally honestly, on board
2: with that.
1: Yeah. I, I honestly, I honestly believe that because the covers were always great.
2: That's the only reason I bought that book was the covers were great. You're absolutely right.
1: And the writing was good. It's just Pete Krause. I mean, he wasn't a bad artist. It's just, it, it wasn't what I wanted. And he's done so much work. He did a couple issues of the Avengers. Um, uh, Right oh, after, yes, he after after Perez left. Yep. Um he did a series called Red Menace, which was uh, written by uh Bilson and DeMaio the guys that created the Flash series and I wrote up uh the the, the the comic with Bart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh did um did the Rocketeer and the Viper. <laughs> Just oh god uh, But um he you know he i think the the thing about jerry ordway's art that makes me respect him so much is that if you look at for example the batman 1989 movie adaptation he can draw a likeness better than anybody it is amazing he did uh, in comic scene number 3 from 1988 they had an interview with him and the background art was were these watercolor paintings he did of the Christopher Reeve Superman stuff. And it looks just like Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman and Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. It's just amazing. And then he has his own style, which is just as freaking epic. And he is one of the few people that can ink as well as he can pencil. And I feel bad for him because when he came back to D.C. in the mid-80s, his first job basically was to ink George Perez on Crisis on Infinite Earths. And those are some of my favorite issues of that series, of when he was inking it. I absolutely loved it. And I can't say good, good enough things about him. I had the opportunity to interview him. He is a super nice guy and remembers things with such a clarity because you know when you talk to these guys you always kind of worry about the fact <laughs> that maybe they're gonna like dude that was 20 years ago why are you fucking asking me about this right you know, shoddy shoddy memory sometimes you know <laughs> but man he would he would have the he would have this and the stories he told us off the air were freaking amazing
3: <laughs> nice yeah hey, jerry's always had a style that is close, very close to george perez's but not but still its own thing it's I always found him as very solid, not great. I, I I wasn't a huge fan of his inking on like other because it's kind of heavy when you ink somebody else. It almost takes the style of like almost takes over like the the penciler style. But he's very solid. I really like his, his stuff. Uh, I would imagine his old stuff is better than the, than his newer stuff. Is, is it? Or? No, it,
1: it, it he, it's it's just it's 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 all good. It really is. I loved his cap. I think he did mm-hmm. a great Captain America. Uh, unfortunately, and I wish he hadn't done this. Uh, he did that U.S. Agent mini series.
3: Ah, uh, yes. Yeah.
1: A couple years ago, when they gave yeah. him the motorcycle helmet, it was like the, the red Judge Dredd. Cap. Yeah, the <laughs> Judge Dredd outfit. I mean, the artwork in it was good. I just didn't like that costume. But then again, my favorite U.S. Agent is John Burns, U.S. Agent in West Coast Avengers.
3: Oh yeah, uh, yeah he, did maximum, he did maximum security too with, with Busek yeah. too.
1: Unfortunately. It was good <laughs> artwork and a suck ass story. God that thing sucked. It was a yeah. terrible cross see, Marvel can't do crossovers like DC can like that. You know, when they do it they have to do stuff like, you know, S- Civil War and Secret Invasion. You know, that they can't do the let's have all the books cross into this and we're gonna have this one central book. I, I just I just have never thought that Marvel could get their shit together.
3: Like DC could on a crossover. Yeah, it was too large. It was too large for the you know the scope was a little too out there. I think for that one. But yeah, it's a good pick. I I think he's a solid, solid pick.
1: So good that no one can follow it up.
0: Awesome. <laughs> it's a solid. Thanks. Good night. It's a solid pick in my nose. <laughs>
3: Who's right. up next? Well, it's Will. I thought. All right. uh, I guess be, this will be my last one for the night because I don't have much else. Um, I'm gonna go with Evan Dorkin. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, you might know him from Milk and Cheese, which was like a kind of a popular thing in the '90s. Uh, he also did uh, some really fun strips for the Bizarre World um, uh, original graphic yeah. novel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really it's really fun. I really recommend that. It's lots of uh, fun with DC characters, a lot of fun Aquaman stuff and Superman and Bizarro, yeah, lots of cool stuff. He also did, interestingly enough, the Bill and Ted um, licensed comics yep. for Marvel. Right. Yep.
1: Yes, he did.
3: Yeah, and those are, are really fun books. I love his style. You, you definitely see a lot of influence. Um, that um, yeah, there's other other Indian artist called uh, Jim mafood who. Uh, Takes a lot of uh, style from from Evan. Um, he also did uh, two issues of Agent X, uh, which was like, kind of the um, it's Deadpool, but they kind of named them something else. I don't know if it was for licensing reasons because I know Liefeld had some sort of a. There was um,
1: there was a time where Marvel was trying to get away from having to pay Liefeld anything <laughs> on, in terms of royalties. Yeah. So X Force became something completely different, as did X, as did Cable, and uh, and Deadpool became like Agent X, and he had a co- mm. whole new, really stupid costume. <laughs> uh, but apparently, it was well written because Gail Simone did a lot of those issues. From what I understand. yeah
3: yeah she did. Uh, it was really well received, and um, Evan only did two issues, but they were really fun. He did it with uh, Juan Bobillo, who did a. Uh, He's a uh, uh, say, quirky artist, kind of cartoony, uh, but still fun. He did the She-Hulk issues with Dan Slot when, when that book first came out. Um, and Evan also did a, a Thing miniseries as well, which is pretty fun. Um, Evan's a, a great guy, too. I met him uh, at my local comic shop. He's very fun, very uh, uh, forthcoming with his uh, experiences. He's not a big fan of the current Marvel but he's he's a fan of fun comics. Yeah, that's why he does... He takes the little fun indie things here and there. He's got a and great blog. He's a very, blog. very cool artist.
0: Yes, his he's a very is, good blog. His entertaining as hell and funny. Yeah, he's very... I, I, I had a feeling, Chris, you would you know this guy. There's a he's lot very of cool. his stuff in my... My roommate especially is a huge fan of his. She has every milk and cheese... We have big, giant, honkin' milk and cheese... Um, Refrigerator magnets on our refrigerator. Nice. And
3: yeah, he has a lot of uh, it's a, a string of graphic novels, which kind of somewhat in, interrelated with each other, uh, in some fashion. I think they're like anthologies or some
0: sort. I've se- I've um, liked most of his stuff. Be- milk and cheese, I wasn't too hot on, but I've liked just about everything else I've ever seen that he's ever done. And yeah, you're right. Jim Mafu definitely did did like rip him off a little bit. I think didn't Jim Moffat do one of the Clerks comics or the early Jay and Silent Bob things, like when it was only double feature or something like that. I think, I think s- he did, I yeah. I remember that somehow.
3: Which is funny because I'm like, when I went up to him, I was like, you know, your, your style is kind of similar to Jim Moffat. He's like, uh, well, I, I know why you would say that, but no, I think <laughs> he's sort of telling me in a nice way that <laughs> that he was first and then it was Jim Yeah, Maffa that's definitely. the other way around. Yeah, so it was pretty, uh, pretty funny because I wasn't really too so aware of him um, you know, since having met him. Uh, but he's a cool guy. He's really cool, and I would definitely recommend his stuff. Uh, definitely check out the Bill and Ted Licensed Comics, as Agent X, and uh, his Bizarre World work, which is a really fun DC trade, uh, and he even made a little uh, autograph and drew a little Batman there, which is pretty fun. I'll have to show you guys later on. But he's, he's a good creator. I would definitely recommend his stuff. Uh, very underrated. It's a shame he's not doing a whole lot of stuff recently with Marvel or DC. But, you know, he's, he's still out there. So definitely see his work. Cool. Yes. I'll pass it to Chris that's then. Mean
0: that's, <laughs> well, you know, I, yes. I switched off my last one because I wanted to pick another fun one. And this is this is <clears> – <throat> He's not for... It's Jesus He's not Christ. for... Yes. He, okay, now, there's this guy, you may have heard of him, his name is Jesus. Now, no, this is the exact opposite, actually. When you're feeling, like, very low self-esteem and you've had a shitty day and you hate every... You know, you're a misanthrope, you hate every human being, go out and get one of this guy's comics and read it and you'll automatically feel better because... This guy hates himself worse than anybody else and uh hates everybody else even worse than he hates himself, maybe. Is this Harvey Picar? No. No, Harvey oh. Picar, at <laughs> least he's gotten some popularity, especially for Harvey Picar. He's done really well for himself. This guy is Great movie. This guy's named uh, Ivan Brunetti. And uh mm. <laughs> Will I think Will is especially going to be more appreciative? I mean, he's he's dark. He had a great. He's very cartoony. He had a great series of of cartoons called uh, "Oops," <laughs> and you know, like people sticking knives in each other's eyes. Oops, <laughs> 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 and stuff like that. And uh, sounds like right up my alley. And he has one one comic that. I don't know how this guy keeps. It. I mean, it's literally his log of you know his workplace and the people he works with, and I hope they never get a hold of an issue of this comic because he just tears him apart and then like feels bad for tearing people apart and then starts tearing himself apart. And usually, I hate that sort of stuff, but for some reason it cracks me up and and like if i'm in a bad mood it actually makes me feel better because it's definitely (laughs) worse to be ivan brunetti than it is to be you so (laughs) and you can get i love this one you can get a lot of really dark chuckles out of it too dark there's like one one cartoon he has that i just punched up here you know, just in a quick image search of Batman and Robin, and, you know, Batman, Robin's looking at Batman all pissed off, and it's a very, it's almost a stick figure drawing, and Batman's going, huh, define pederasty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, vile! Man, this is great. Yeah, vile. But, uh, yeah, actually, I had another. I had another guy who was sort of the same way. But then I was looking at him, going, "You know, Ivan Brunetti actually is even more misanthropic than this guy. So I'm gonna pick that because, you know, you've got everybody has that day at work or wherever where everybody in the outside world is a complete asshole. For Scott and I, that's called daily life. Yeah. <laughs> Every waking second. Say, I called yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I was like yeah
1: i work retail i know what that is yeah
0: and and you know lots of people think that the the cure for that is happiness and you know some new agey music and light some candles and throw some patchouli in the in the incense burner and lay in the in the in a nice hot tub and stuff but no it's not it's Seeing something even worse, <laughs> it's going. I'd rather in...
1: come home, get a pizza, and watch people beat the shit out of each other on a movie. Well, yeah. And then
0: <laughs> well, then there's the Grand Theft Auto kind of video games where you can just go and you know pile up the pile beat up the up prostitutes. Yeah, pile up the body count. I've I've seen. You know, I'm sure that's a definite big part of Scott's uh, <laughs> mental health. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
2: You know, what's funny is I'm looking at this guy's list of uh, credits here, and you've got titles like Bizarre World, Crime and Unusual Punishment, <laughs> Hate, Hate, and Schizo. Schizo,
0: Schizo and is a good starting got, point for this guy. Schizo is the one with his office in it, and it's just great.
2: But then you've also got Scooby-Doo and <laughs> Cartoon Network Presents. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: A random smattering.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he's doing Scooby... Yeah, he's crazy. He's got to be insane. He's doing Scooby-Doo, and then the next thing he's like, you know, has doing little stupid cartoons of people, like, raping corpses and stuff, so...
1: (laughs) But that's hot, isn't it? I
0: guess, yeah.
1: Can you really rape something that's not alive? That's true. (laughs) I mean, I hate to get into a (laughs) semantical argument,
0: but... That's another episode altogether. That could be a <laughs> that could be one of the most downloaded Point counterpoint. <laughs> 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 I I I will I will volunteer to be the I'll be devil's advocate that, and I will fight the pro corpse race, raping position. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> just just because if anybody could do it, it's me.
3: Yeah, oh, this is quite a conversation something. killer <laughs> yikes no, I, just like looking at it it's just like wow it's pretty funny he's, me- he's, he's,
0: he's <laughs> mentally and, Ill for disturbing.
1: and for Will Sanchez to say that <sighs> you know what's going
0: to <laughs> I'm waiting for the day that I throw something up there that, what makes Will Sanchez go di- I know what, but don't know I, I don't know if I can be your friend now that's really too disturbing <laughs> <laughs> that it's day may dead. never come. But I'm going to try.
3: Uh, all right. All right,
1: Scott, who's your last one?
2: My last one is Mike Nasser. I just, uh, I adore I'm this guy. I was surprised I was expecting Our,
1: another Mike.
2: I, uh, I wish that he had done more work, uh, know back in this this early period when he was uh you know it seemed like he was on the rise you know this was the the early to mid 70s and he just had a smattering you know there's really not a whole lot of stuff here he just it was you know again one-off issues here there and everywhere all over the board with with mostly with dc but he also did some stuff with marvel you know he did uh issues like marvel team up and marvel two-in-one but uh i just i really liked this guy's art and he just kind of just dropped off the face of comics for what it was like almost 20 years i believe and then he finally came back and uh and now he's known today as mike netzer and i still like his art i still think it's really good but it's way different than his early stuff you know that some of the more Modern stuff that he did, you know, when he came back, he, he worked on like uh, Armageddon Inferno, Armageddon Alien Agenda, um, Batman Green Arrow, uh, The Poison Tomorrow, which was really, you know, that was really good. I really enjoyed that, um, but just not quite the same as his original stuff back in the 70s. That That's the stuff I really like the best, and uh, I just wish that we had gotten more of it because what little there is is just you know what i've seen of it is just you know fantastic stuff um he did you know he he did some uh cover projects too he did a an issue or two of the marvel star trek that i really liked um wonder woman stuff like that but probably the biggest thing i know him for and uh, I know we talked about this at length, so I won't go into it too much, but it was, uh, he did the last two issues of DC's Cobra series. And then that spun into that issue of uh, DC special series. Um, I think it was number one. If I remember right, the, uh, the Batman story that's in there was actually supposed to be Cobra number eight. And those three issues together taken in in as a whole just form this awesome awesome Batman story and just some of the best Batman art of that era of the 70s I think and it's just that one short story but just some really really fantastic stuff and uh, I'm actually slowly working to collect you know the different things that this guy did just because there's really not that much I mean it's it's a pretty short list so It shouldn't take too awful long to collect everything, but uh, I I haven't seen anything of his yet that I didn't like. And that includes, you know, there was a a story I kind of just stumbled across recently in uh, Adventure Comics, an issue uh, or a story of The Flash that he did. He was inked by uh, Vinnie Coletta, who I just can't stand. Even Vinnie Coletta could didn't bring <laughs> him down, you know, which is pretty remarkable. You know, he's such a solid artist that even Vinnie Coletta couldn't ruin him. So that that was really cool. And, and what's neat is I, I messaged him not long ago on Facebook and asked him about that. I was like, you yeah, know, how did you feel about, you know, Vinnie Coletta's inks on, on your work back then? And he was very uh diplomatic. He was very nice in his response, but he was also, you know, he mm-hmm. uh let it be known that, you know, he wasn't he wasn't too crazy about it, so I thought that was cool. But he was very nice about it, too. You know, he didn't be like, you know, he wasn't like, ah, it sucked, I hated that shit. You know, but he was, you could tell he was disappointed, too. It was funny.
1: Oh, my God, I burned his house down after this <laughs>
3: shit came out. <laughs> Why do you think he's dead? <laughs> <laughs> See, I kind of like uh, Vinny's uh, thinking. I guess I'm one of the few. You're the, the only. That's when Scott hit the roof. <laughs>
1: All Will no, has to say funny. now is that he wants Vinny Coletta to draw the adaptation of Dark Knight and Batman Begins. There you go. That works. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm looking at um that's his art. It looks like a very Neil Adams influence We're mixed with a little bit of a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez a little bit.
2: I, I thought of it more of, well, it, it depends on what you're looking at, but you're know, looking at, say, that Batman story in DC special series number one, I think it looks a lot like the bridge between Neil Adams' Batman and Jim Aparo's Batman. It's like right in the middle, and that's yeah. why I like it so much, because I love both those guys on Batman, so that that's what I see when I look at it. Yeah, that, Yeah, this picture that somebody just sent me here, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about.
3: Uh, it does have a parallel kind of influence, too. I mean, not influence, but just kind of a uh, middle ground. Yeah, that's true. I
2: really, really like that. I think it's some great stuff. And that's just a fantastic story. But, yeah, that's mine. And I think uh, that uh, that pretty much brings us to a close, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I think it does. Yep. Oh, come Excellent. on. We've only been going for three hours, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we think Chris of any more underappreciated?
1: Um, I've got some runners up. Uh, Val Semix, sure. who drew DC one million
3: on oh, the uh, JLA.
2: Um... Oh, Val Semix, Yeah, Val I, love, I love that guy. Yeah.
1: Um, Todd Nayak, who did Young Justice. You know that guy?
2: I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. The guy you just mentioned—that's who I was thinking of. Did that uh, Legends of the DC Universe. He did a Superman story in that, but that's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, sometimes I get those two confused. But, yeah, Yeah, that's Semek, yeah.
3: Yeah, he did JLA incarnations, too, with Osherander. That's right.
2: That's right, yeah. Good choice.
3: Um, Todd Nyack,
1: who did Young Justice. Uh, Mike Waringo, who did Flash and Superman and the Fantastic Four. Butch Geis. Oh, ah Butch yes. guys uh love yeah. his awesome. flash liked his superman michael bear uh who who has inked a lot of like the young Justice, uh, young all stars and uh eventually did some work with uh on infinity incorporated and all that Alan Davis really like alan Davis's stuff
2: the um, only piece of original art that I own um save for those uh those pages of Alf that were recently given to me is uh, is a Mike Bear page from In- Infinity Inc. I love uh, Mike Bear. Yeah, I should have put him on my list.
3: Guy yeah, he inks. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, he inks. Um, what's this guy? Uh, Rags Morales a lot now. Mike yes. Hmm.
1: Uh, Dave Hoover who took over for. Um, Tom Lyle on Starman, I liked his stuff. He did an Invaders miniseries or limited series as well. Uh, I actually had Greg LaRock as one of my uh, as one of my runners run up. up. <laughs> uh, Howard Porter, mainly from his JLA and Ray run, I, I liked both of
2: those. Yeah, I like his stuff on the Ray. Yeah,
1: Leonard Kirk, who penciled a lot of Peter David's Supergirl book, mm-hmm. I really liked his style. Um, Ed McGinnis took me a while but I really warmed up to his Superman uh, Mike McCone who's been oh, in the business forever mm-hmm. I know I, I opened up like Justice League annual number one from like 1987 and he did the work in that wow uh, speaking of Justice League, Kevin McGuire, love Kevin Maguire uh, no one does facial expressions like Kevin McGuire does a guy named Grant Miam, he was one of the other guys that did. Uh, he did Legend of the Shield for Impact, uh, and I, I've just always kind of liked. He had a really solid style. Uh, Paris Cullins, who did uh, uh, Blue Devil <laughs> and uh, Blue Beetle. Yeah. Uh, Steve Lytle, and last but by certainly no means least, Stuart Imman. Uh, really loved his work on Superman. He's great, like a lot. So, uh, but that that was my little post-it note list that I made up at work three weeks ago when we originally were. Gonna... <laughs> Dude,
2: that's a my... really good list. You you thought of a lot of guys that I should have thought of. In fact, the only one you mentioned that I can't get behind. I'm sorry. Is that uh, I don't know how you pronounce his last name? That Todd Nayak. Nayak. Yeah. Malcolm. Oh my God! I could not stand the art on that book. I think that's what kept me from buying that book. Uh, you know when see, it was actually coming out, I bought it in back issues, dirt cheap. But,
5: Young
1: Justice uh, is one of my favorite titles ever, and his artwork was the reason for a lot of that. So
3: DC never wants to release the trade of that. Well, stuff. they're
1: going to have to now.
3: <laughs> they're oh, flying into a corner. There's, an ah,
1: anima- yes. there's a Young Justice animated series coming on.
3: Ah, uh, yeah, that's what it's called. Oh, yeah. really?
2: Yeah. Huh. I wonder what uh, yeah, the uh, that- animation style is going to be.
1: Uh, I'll give me a second. Uh, somebody go off with their, uh, I guess Will's next for, with his runners-up.
3: Um, my only one was um, Alex Savick from Web of Spider-Man, because like, I liked his um, 90s s- Spider-Man stuff, but that's pretty much it outside of that. I think uh, Mike took all of the good ones. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's right. <laughs> I I just
0: got a couple. I got um, Dennis Warden, who did Stick Boy and Hellboy. Stick figure stuff. That was what um, Ivan Brunetti bumped off. And uh, Jim Severin. I love Jim Severin's art. I just Ooh, yeah. I, I just love his style. I love when he would do stuff, especially for like creepy and eerie, and would do science fiction and horror stories. Good choice. I, I just love his mixture of somewhat cartoony but very realistic at the same time. In detail, it's, a,
1: it's like I would throw any of the EC guys along with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, EC had a lot of really good artists
0: there, but I, I think he's right up there with like Bernie Wrightson, but he doesn't get as many props as Bernie Wrightson, the man that doesn't age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a painting in Bernie Wrightson's yeah, attic that gets older. It's as... <laughs> like a rotten corpse
0: right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
3: the Young Justice has the uh, the same Aquaman that I showed you guys. I mean, the uh, Aqualad that I showed you guys, but he looks a little different. in The design—it's a little he has, like blonde hair and the like, green eyes or something.
1: What about I you, Scott?
2: That show, I've I've really just got a couple because uh, believe it or not, I I really struggled with my list, and I this is going to be one of those shows that as soon as it's up and it's posted, I'm going to think of like fifty people that I should have <laughs> had on my list. I didn't know it. But I actually dug out um, somewhere. I have the old 1996. It was this book I bought, and and I've I've loved it up until like the internet came along and made it kind of obsolete. But it was the comic book index, where these guys uh, they pooled their collections together, and and end up indexing. I think it was something like fifty thousand comic books or something crazy like that, and pulling out like you know all these credits of like writers and artists and everything. And it's just this massive printout, basically, of the works of all these popular comic book creators. And so I poured through that thing looking for names of people that I, you know, that I should have thrown out there. And I should have been writing this stuff down because how many freaking episodes have we done of this show now where I've said, you know, if we ever do that unappreciated thing, you know, this is definitely a name that's going to make that uh-huh. list. I, I know <laughs> there's names that I forgot. But anyway. A couple of quick ones that were on my uh, my alternate list. Uh, my only writer, strangely enough, is uh, Tom DeFalco, and I know I mentioned him briefly earlier, but you know it's not like this guy's an unknown. I mean, you know, for Christ's sake, he was the the EIC of Marvel for a while. Yeah. but yeah. I just feel like his work his his writing is not appreciated. This guy is a fucking phenomenal writer. And when I do hear him mentioned, it's almost invariably hearing him bashed. And it really pisses me off because the guy is a phenomenal writer. His his work on Thor um, right after um, Simonson left, I mean, that's what really, beyond the Simonson stuff, this is what really has made me a Thor fan because for a time, believe it or not, you could actually buy comics at Walmart. And I remember going to... The Walmart in Watertown, and I kept buying these these packs that they were putting out. They came in almost like like what the CGC graded books come in today. It was like this hard metal or not metal, uh, plastic rather case that you had to actually cut the fucking thing open to get your comics out of it. But I they were those. these dirt cheap packs of comics, and it would be like an entire like year and a half's worth run for a couple of bucks. And it was all these issues of Thor, and I just kept going and buying them until I had, you know, this whole great big long run. And it's it's the whole Tom DeFalco run where, you know, we met um, that uh, what was that guy's name? Drago or whatever, the Thor of the future, and yeah. Thor fought the uh, the Celestials and actually broke Mjolnir. And stuff like that. We we and it, we got into like the Eric Masterson stuff, where he took over as Thor, and then eventually Thor came back. So then Masterson became um, Thunderstrike and went off to his own book. That entire era, I got dirt cheap, and just loved that shit. I mean, Defalco really nailed that character and and understood him and made him exciting, and it was a beautiful blend of. You know, Thor's one of those characters like, say, Green Lantern, where he's he's tough for a lot of writers to get because they don't seem to know the proper blend of cosmic and Earth-based stuff. And I feel like DeFalco got it perfect with Thor. He had a really nice blend of Thor out there fighting cosmic menaces or other gods or, you know, mystical, mythical shit. But then he also had a lot of Thor on Earth, you know, interacting with his own little cast of characters and sometimes just kicking an ass on Earth. And it was great. I really, really like that stuff. And it pains me when I hear people run him down. And it was the same way with his uh, with his FF stuff. I don't think the FF stuff is quite as strong as the Thor stuff. But for a time when the FF was hot again, real briefly, there um just prior to like the nobody gets out alive storyline that was some good shit and the ff was exciting again for the first time in a hell of a long time and i really enjoyed that and i know there's other things that he's done too that i'm forgetting um, you know a lot of people would would hold up his uh, spider girl stuff but i haven't really read a whole lot of that i read the origin and i read about the first i think half year and that's as far as I've made it. I, I keep meaning to get back to it, and I, it's just kind of low on my my list of priorities, reading wise. But I've
1: got the first like twenty some odd issues of the most current series that just got canceled. If uh, you want them,
2: sure. If you don't want them, I yeah. mean, I don't think I've ever read anything of his that I didn't dig. I, I, he's just one of those guys. To me, he's right up there with like Roger Stern, that just writes in a classic comic book style. That just works for me. Whenever I read something by him, I just walk away always going, now that's comics. That's how comics should be written right there. So, yeah, I, I really, really like that guy. Um, really, the only other ones I've got on my list, uh, Jerry Bingham. He's right up there. He, To me, he's very similar in my mind to Mike Nasser. Where he there's not a huge body of work that he's done, but what he has done I really, really like. Which which Rasa Ghoul story was it he did? Was it Bride of the Demon? Son of the Demon? It was the one where at the end Batman and Talia had had, had the baby that eventually has Son of the, the Demon. Is that son? Yeah, he drew that. And it's oh my god, is the art gorgeous in that? That's really some awesome stuff um another one I, this one kind of surprised me for for my own sake because i don't like this guy as an artist on a book but his covers to me are like when i when i think of back you know think back to like comic covers of the 70s that i think are the most exciting and thrill me the most nick carty I don't like his interior art. Like uh, I was looking at uh, some issues of uh, All-Star Western the other day that had um Bat Lash stories in it and I was like, "Wow, I really don't like this art. Who is this?" And I was like, "Whoa, this is Nick Cardy? So yeah, I don't it's weird. I don't like his interior stuff, but some of those like the Superman covers he did when I was a kid, I mean, I remember there's there's one where uh it's almost a take on the Flash 123 cover, you know, with the two flashes running towards the construction worker and they're trying to save him. It's this one where Lois Lane in this very, very 70s outfit is like checking her watch or something. And there's this wall behind her. And on each side of the wall is a Superman flying towards her. And they're both thinking the same thing that they're late for their date with Lois Lane. I don't know what it is about that cover. I just dig it. It's really, really cool. He did one with like Superman getting. Sucked through the center of the Earth or something like that, and he's all stretched out and elongated, and he's reaching out to the to the reader, you know, to save him and stuff like that. Just some really cool covers. There was like a slightly creepy factor to the covers that he did, and I think that's what I liked about him so much.
3: And, yeah, very very pulpy kind of. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Yeah. This very- Aquaman is really. Yeah, this Aquaman is pretty awesome. I like this cover. Oh yeah. Wow.
2: I don't have that issue, but yeah, I like that one a lot. I like the cross-hatching look on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and then lastly, and this is a guy, guys, i have to forgive me, because you'll be hearing a lot more about this guy um, in the future on uh, on my Jonah Hex podcast, but uh, Tony Zaniga. God damn, is this guy a hell of an artist. And, and once again, one of those we'll, guys. We'll
1: be talking about him on All-Star Squadron, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was one of my notes. Is uh, he did uh, the Shining Knight Origin in All Star Squadron sixty two, and uh, that that's always been one of my favorite issues of that entire series, just because of that. Um, but yeah, his art on uh, Weird Western Tales, Jonah Hex. Well, actually, I mean, he's a co creator of Jonah Hex. You know, right out of the gate with uh, All Star Western number ten, he was the artist on that. Just some really phenomenal stuff. He uh, did some work on Thor. He's done work on a lot of different titles, but those were the ones that always made the biggest impression on me. Was uh, you know his All Star, his Jonah Hex, and his Thor stuff really, uh, really jumps out at me. But yeah, man, I I love love his art, and just wish I'd hear, you know, more people mentioning him when they when they talk about great comic book artists because he's definitely one of the big ones. But, yeah, that's uh, that's my list. That's all I got.
3: Yeah, the, uh, the Falco Thor stuff was pretty good. I liked his issue with uh, with Nihilus when he attacks Asgard. That was a really cool issue. And also when uh, the New Warriors debuted in one of his, in yeah, his Thor books. Yeah,
2: that's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're absolutely right.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, very fun kind of a Kirby throwback almost, you know.
2: I think that's one of the, you know, when, when he and uh, um, Friends would team up, I thought they made a really good team. You know, that, that's one of those teams I'd like to hear mentioned more. You know, when people talk about great, you know, comic book teams like, uh, I don't know, like Byrne and Austin or something or, or Byrne and uh, Claremont or, you know, whatever. I, I never hear anybody mention, you know, DeFalco Friends, but I think they were a great team. Yeah. I yeah. think they worked very well together on, on their stuff. That just, like I say, to me, that's classic comics, you know, from, from my era, you know, of, of what I would consider classics, because that's when I was growing up and that's, you know, the stuff that was coming out was stuff by, like, these guys.
0: Agreed. Agreed, yes. Chug a lug chug a lug Make you want to holler, holly ho, burns your tummy, don't you know, chug a look, chug a look, grape wine and a mason jar.
4: Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at com, and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you?
0: Thanks, and
4: we'll see you next week.
0: But with the help of my finagling uncle, I get snuck in
3: my first taste of sin. I said, Let me have a big old sip
0: right on a double backflip. Chug a look, chug a look. Make you want a holler hotter, oh. Find your tummy, don't you know? Chug a look, chug a look, take a look, chug